Welcome, everybody, to Phone Booth Fighting. I'm Richard. He's Frank. I'm the two-time funniest comedian in Reno. He's the two-time heaviest of champions in the UFC. And we do this podcast twice weekly. You can get it in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, SoundCloud, or PhoneBoothFighting.com, pretty much wherever podcasts are available. That is where you will find us. If you are going to that iTunes page where you find Phone Booth Fighting, do us a favor. Click on the five stars. That gives us uh, the best of all possible ratings. Maybe even leave a favorable comment or two. We like to read those on the air from time to time, and we certainly appreciate you guys supporting us in that way. Speaking of supporting us, show merchandise, official Phone Booth Fighting t-shirts and autograph memorabilia of Available at phoneboothfightingshop.com. Frank, that's phoneboothfightingshop.com. And for a limited time, a very limited time, our latest t-shirt design is uh, marked down 20% off. So uh, you save a little money on your internet order that way. Also, our Amazon banner is pinned right at the top of the Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page. Be sure to click through that when you're doing your Amazon shopping and uh, show your support for the show that way. And keeping us hydrated, real water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com. You always see the familiar blue bottle in the hand of uh, myself and and Frank whenever we're podcasting, uh, whenever we're training, whenever we are navigating the highways and byways of the West Coast, especially if we ever get uh, lost in a national forest again, Frank. I know that between your arsenal and my supply of real water, we'll be able to survive for some time. We would have been good for a little bit. We would have been good for uh, a while. Who knows? We might have even had time to sort of set up our own little civilization there. I mean, who's to say? little Jonestown? Who's to say we couldn't just relocate? Absolutely. I've always thought that uh, I could be an effective cult leader. And uh, you know what? When I think of all my friends who I think could be an effective uh, cult co-leader with me, you're at the very top of the list. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, hopefully you're flattered by that. Speaking of uh, real water, real MMA is going to be back in action right here in Las Vegas at Samstown Casino. Friday, January 27th, I'm going to be out there uh, for the amateur card, real MMA, the best in uh, amateur mixed martial arts. Check out their Facebook page at Real Mix Martial Arts on Facebook. If you're going to be in the Vegas area on Friday, January 27th, come out and join us for the fights. we got a big show coming up for you guys today. Uh, Jessica Andrade, UFC women's strawweight title contender, is actually going to be joining us here at Stately Mirror Manor. Uh, your striking coach, Frank Angelo Reyes, has... Uh, uh, joined her camp, and so he's going to be bringing her by, and uh, her head coach, and and Tiago, her manager. They're going to be joining us here in the uh, in the parlor, in the uh, in the den. I guess this would be a den, wouldn't it? A lot of times we're out on the patio during the the warmer months, but uh, too cold for that. Too. Yeah, since it's gotten cold, we moved into the uh, we, we kind of gather around the hearth. Probably here. could have pulled it off tonight. Yeah, and it's not too bad. A couple times last uh, the week before, where it was <laughs> yeah, forget that. 
Yeah, not too bad tonight. But uh, anyway, Jessica is going to be by to join the show. And then also phoning in is going to be Team Alpha Male head coach Justin Buckholtz, who just claimed his first uh, world title, a, a title, uh, I guess, under his, his watch, his tutelage, as uh, Cody Garbrandt upsets Dominic Cruz for the 135-pound men's bantamweight title at UFC 207 just this past weekend in Las Vegas. So once Justin gets on the phone with us uh, shortly, we'll be talking about that co-main event uh, with uh, Cody Garbrandt bringing the gold back to Team Alpha Male in Sacramento. But first things first, uh, Frank, and of course, it's the lead story on everybody's mind. Ronda Rousey knocked out by women's bantamweight champion Amanda Nunez this past uh, Friday night at UFC 207 here in Las Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena. Uh, knocked out in 48 seconds. I was there cage side. You were in Sacramento, but I know you saw the fights up there. Uh, let's just uh, let's just start with your thoughts. What do you think? Well, I think now, um, I think Ronda has a long road ahead of her. She wants to stay as a competitor because one thing is you want to stick to what you're good at, which obviously her, her throws and her submissions on the ground, you know, specifically the arm bar, um, but getting people into that realm now, um, throwing people requires you to put, you know clench and push in. And I think the people are realizing now that well, just don't rush her, you know, like Kat Zingano did, and you know, and, and take a chance of getting blasted, you know, with a throw and thrown to the ground. And I think now, uh, I think before she was throwing in her stand-up with kind of unabandoned because she was fearless. But I think that you've seen in this last fight. Um, she needs to have some kind of level change. She stands straight up in a striking match. And she didn't have the same bravado that she had prior to the you know, Holly Holm fight. Whereas, you know, you know, you've seen her against, uh, you know, Betch Carrera. You know, she just came right in, you know, was yeah. able to, you know uh, against, uh, you know, uh, Sarah McMahon. You know, uh, very fearless through the hard knee, was able to brawl. Uh, you've seen in this fight a much more tentative version of her. And I think before, because she is such an explosive athlete, you know, years of being a great uh, judoka, um, she hits hard, you know. And so I think before, she never really got dropped. So she had no fear of the consequences of jumping in on people. So that was in her favor, but it was always a risk that finally caught up to her in the Holly Holm fight. And in this fight with Amanda Nunez, she sat back and was more conservative even for the few seconds that the fight lasted. But her striking is so not on any level to begin with that she can do that. If you want to be able to sit and be neutral and move around and kind of and, and, and not just overwhelm your opponent, you can basically make up for a lack of technique with aggression. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're aggressive, it's kind of like, well, now you can kind of, it's a coin toss. Mm -hmm. You might still get knocked out, even maybe even knocked out worse, but at least there's an opportunity maybe you knock out or hurt your opponent. If you're going to be tactical, you have to be tactical. And uh, you can't sit there and how she was tactical or coach was, you know, to Edmonds, uh, you know, defense, I mean, he was telling her the right thing, you know, make the girl miss, move her head. I would have preferred level changes. And, and at one point, too, I even thought, you know, going into the fight, I'm like, wow, if they take a fight out of, a, you know, an Iminari from Japan, mm -hmm. do a front roll into the girl's legs, just somehow get her into the fight, get her past the first round where she's not, you know, get through the jitters of the nightmare her last fight was, 
then uh, it would it would be great to gain that momentum, get that you know, get back in there. I mean, everybody. I mean, it's human nature. If the last time you got into a car, someone sideswiped you, the very next time you get in the car, you're probably going to be apprehensive of. Mm-hmm. People on the side of you or, you know, next mm-hmm. time, oh, the guy took a left-hand turn in front of me. Well, guess what? You're going to be a little bit nervous when you see mm-hmm. a, a blinker coming on as you're going through an intersection. I'm that way when I get new relationships. <laughs> Whenever the girl goes to touch me, I flinch like this. Let them yeah. know they used to be beat, huh? <laughs> yeah. It, it's but you, but that being said, like, so, you know, uh, time and exposure uh, in the octagon would have helped her. And, and, and really, this was a worst-case scenario for her. Um I thought she kind of had a hole to dig out of coming out of this last fight with Holly Holm. Uh, took way too much time off, uh, you know, too much time to ponder and think, and and and, and just it, it builds up the uh, pressure. And then uh, now she went out there and got destroyed again, even worse yeah. with her striking. The boxing looked horrendous. Um, you know, there was no defense whatsoever. She kind of kept her left hand up a little bit high, but the one thing that you could see that was actually kind of uh, telling for me was that she kept her hands up, but she wasn't really reacting to punches coming towards her. There wasn't a flinch. There wasn't an attempt to move out. I've seen people get hit by punches. You see the punch coming and they kind of might bite down their mouthpiece and they might not have the appropriate response, but I think that's teachable. I could sit there and as a coach, go to somebody, okay, watch the film of you getting hit. You saw the punch. You saw the read. So your mind has the right inclination of when it's in danger of when that person threw that shot. Mm-hmm. Now we just have to get the neurons in your brain to fire in the correct order that now you're going to have the appropriate response. Okay, now mm-hmm. we need you to duck or we need you to pull, you know, slip this punch or, you know, block it this way. And uh, it almost looked like, Really, Rhonda didn't even uh, react to the punches. She kind of kept her arm up. She reacted after the fact of getting hit, but there wasn't any kind of pulling or shying away from the strike, which tells me it's like, wow, you, did you even see the punches coming? Kind of froze. It was kind of like a yeah. like a, a, a an absence of any movement at that point. She locked up. And so, yeah. really, honestly, I think the if Rhonda was serious about being a... Uh, I'm not saying that she's not serious. I guess that's not the right way to put it. If she has the desire to continue on as a mixed martial artist, I think fighting very low-level girls and building herself back up is the way to go. But she's kind of stuck in a really uh, conundrum where because she gets paid so much, the idea of giving her an unranked bantamweight girl to get her back into the groove is probably not going to occur unless she takes a huge pay cut. Um, you know, th- this is a situation where even dropping out and going to a different organization to fight lesser opponents right now to build back some kind of momentum and confidence. Because right now, if she comes back again and faces another top five girl, everybody's kind of seeing the blueprint. I mean, the blueprint with Ronda is don't rush her, don't run into a punch. Mm. Just keep her at the end of your jab and just start boxing. She runs in, punch her, step back. She clinches, push off. Don't drive in, as we've seen like a Zangano do. Uh, you know, even Misha Tate in their fight started making those mistakes in their last fight they had in the UFC. She would shoot in on the legs, drive up to the upper body, and then basically driving in and get launched. Uh, and I think that once the, everybody kind of seen Holly Holm 
get clinched and back out of the clinch going, okay, well, it's kind of wrestling and judo 101. It's near damn impossible to launch somebody through the air with a throw if once you lock up with them, they start backing out of the throw. Mm-hmm. And so um, she has to develop takedowns that are more wrestling orientated. Uh, I think the judo takedowns are 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 now hit their limit where people realize that, oh, all I got to do is th- stall and move backwards. I can stop basically your whole takedown uh, uh, offense. And then, uh, you know, her striking. She needs to get in there at a lower level competition and have some success. People have made the analogy to Hoist Gracie that, you know, Hoist was going through armbar and every, in fact, I think still has the record for most armbar submissions in the UFC. But at a certain point, that sort of started to get figured out, or at least the defense to it, you know. And the I've, I've heard it wondered aloud if, if now women's MMA hasn't gotten to that point. I don't know if it's that easy. I definitely think there's something to realizing that, uh, that Rhonda can't throw you if she doesn't have a hold of you. And so that's a real good reason to keep her at a distance. But the other problem I think with this defeat as compared to the Holly home defeat is that with Holly, she, she got beat by, Holly's style to be sure, but she was at least trying to compete. I mean, there were some, there were some tie ups. There was fire in her still. Yeah. And, and Holly was. That bravado that she had for all her several fights, she still brought to the Holly home fight. Yeah. She did not bring to this fight. Yeah. And, and she was also able to at least attempt to execute her game plan against Holly. I mean, they clinched up. Holly was able to get out of it. I mean, that was the big revelation. She Holly down and got on the ground. She did. Exactly. This was just, I mean, Rhonda just there, there, there was no off. Rhonda didn't get a chance to do any offense. You know, it really was just an absolute uh, steamrolling. And you know, from my perspective, um, from the the media perspective, a lot was made out of this. So I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar. But uh, you know, this last week, Rhonda did none of the media. Oh, the, she's paying for that now. Huh? She is because the the typical way this happens um, is so. Let's say this fight this fight was on a Friday, which is rare. Normally they're on Saturdays, but usually the weigh-ins course of the day before the fight, the day before that, so forty eight hours that. Thursday when the fights are on Saturdays that's a media day so a lot of times like the audio I played uh, last week on the show and we'll play some of the uh, press conference audio of me talking to uh, some of the fighters uh, after the fight uh, this past Friday night but uh, you know the audio we played on the last episode I gather at media day I'm in a big room bunch of other media people we go around you've been to a million of these Frank been a part of them and uh, you know obviously uh, if you're in the main event, you're going to get more press requests than anybody else. If you're the biggest name in the promotion or one of the biggest names like Ronda is, uh, you, you're going to get more requests. But in a really unprecedented move, she got it worked out to where she did not have to do any of that. In fact, when I went to the official weigh-ins, which were Thursday morning, you know, those are done now at like 9 a.m., she was first on the scale, came through the curtain, got on the scale, weighed in, 
and they were asking each uh, fighter to stay on the scale for five seconds for still photography. Once they hit the weight, just you know, pose whatever you're going to do. She hit the weight, got off the scale, didn't even wait one second, and they were trying to sort of call her back onto the scale. None of that. She was right out of there. Um, and then, of course, she was uh, a no-show at the post-fight press conference. Now, uh, after being finished the way she was, you understand maybe why uh, she she wasn't going to be interviewed after the fight. But on the way down... That's her choice. Yeah, that is. No, no, that was completely her choice. Oh, to not be interviewed. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. But, but even if... In fact, once we're done, when, yeah. just so you know where I'm going, in case you know, I forget my yeah. thought, I think that's what screwed her the worst. I don't think the media blackout leading up... Mm. That what did? Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Had she, at the end of that fight, not done what she did the f- her first loss, run out of the octagon so the fight was over with, mm. in this fight she did the same exact thing. In contrast, Dominic Cruz just lost for the very first time at 135 pounds, second time in his whole professional career ever, pretty much was dominated every round. I mean, you know, the first couple rounds were close. I shouldn't say dominated, but it got worse and worse as it went on. Uh, you know, uh, Cody Garbrandt completely had him figured out, had a better game plan. Uh, his boxing, obviously, just, you know, he beat the shit out of Dominic. Um, and I didn't think that was possible. You yeah. know, I thought that Cruz was going to win the fight. No one talks more shit than Cruz. I mean, mm-hmm. few people. You know what I mean? He's up there, you know. You want to talk about shit talkers. That guy can sell a fight. He's good at it. Mm-hmm. This one in smart. particular. Oh, yeah. man, he's smart, you know. Yeah. Real savvy about what he says. Um I mean, he kicked Cody Garbrandt to that aspect of it as far mm-hmm. as, you know, the, the leading up to the fight, just that Cody, you know, kicked his ass in the fight. He got his ass kicked, loses the title, lost his first time at Bantamweight, second time ever in his entire career to an alpha male, which that has to kind of sting a little bit with him. Um, he stayed there afterwards, acknowledged his opponent, said, you know, hey, kicked my ass, he did a good job, you know, hopefully I can get back out here. But, you know, hey, he's a better man today. Had Ronda done that, her media blackout leading up gets knocked out in 48 seconds, or, you know, referee stopped her from, you know, basically getting Holly homed again. Um, had she, after, you know, Manny Nunez spoke, sat there and took the mic the second time, is usually what is the etiquette of championship or five round fights. The other individual, I've been there, I remember against JDS, got my ass kicked, sat there, waited for him to get acknowledged and congratulated, and then, you know, and then had to speak. It's not a great experience. It's, yeah. you know, you have to humble yourself. Um, and so had she at that moment said, look, you know, I want to, you know, I, I really was focused on this. I even turned down all media leading up to the fight because I thought maybe that was a distraction last time. I was really focused on just winning this more than anything. I think then we would have looked back upon her media blackout jumping off the scale with sympathy, we would have been able to relate to somebody that wanted something very badly, so they were trying to make concessions in any way they could to make sure they were victorious. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, I gave up this, I gave up that. I purposely didn't do media because I really wanted to focus on leading up to this fight. I think that, I mean, if you would have heard her say that, would you not have been like, oh, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Not that you didn't understand it to begin with, but I think it would have completely just... 
defused any of the like, eh, she doesn't even do media, UFC lets her get away with this, you would have been able to relate to a person who says, hey, look, I got my ass kicked the first, last time, I just lost my title, I wanted my title back, I've dedicated a lot of time to focusing and training, you know, I've really was strong, you know, uh, six ways to Sunday, you know, leading up to my last fight, all the different, you know, obligations I had, so I really thought maybe that distracted me, so I really just focused on this fight, you know, and, you know, it didn't turn out in my favor again. I'm going to have to really go back. You know, I think then people would have been, oh, and been on her side. But then, you know, you lose the fight. You had no press leading up to it. And then as soon as you get your, the other, your opponent gets her hand raised, they sit there and go, hey, do you want to say and say something? No. She shakes her head. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to get out of here. Well, you're not talking. Well, people can't relate to you. They don't understand you. They don't like you. Yeah, I mean, that's just how it works, and, you know what I mean? And then doesn't attend the post-fight press conference. Because even then, you had yet another shot. You're right. You know? on, on top of that, you, you could have gone to the post-fight conference, gathered yourself up. I mean, what fighter in UFC has not had their ass kicked and had to go to the post-fight conference? You, you mentioned Dominic Cruz, and we're going to get some audio here in, in a second of uh, my questions to Dominic Cruz after the fight, uh, after he lost the co-main event. But there could not have been a greater study in contrast because this guy not only attended the post-fight press conference, stood the whole time and just took command of the city. He basically gave a five-star analysis of how his opponent beat him. It's like he was an analyst for his own fight. That's impressive. He gave all the credit where it was due. He still, you know, he, he wasn't broken. I mean, I think he still had plenty of confidence. He, I'm sure yeah. he wants that fight again, et cetera. But it wasn't... It wasn't Conor McGregor showed up to the post-fight That's conference. another one. That's another there one. There is the king of shit-talking. Yep. You know, here he's the, you know, the featherweight champ of the world. He goes out and gets choked out by Nate Diaz. He put a suit on and showed up. Yep. He did his post-fight interview inside the cage, walked, I mean, took a shower, put a suit on, and showed up. Hey, you know what? And he was humble about the situation, going, look, his energy was better than mine. Or, you know, I forgot the exact words he used, mm -hmm. but he didn't make excuses. He didn't say he had an injury. He didn't say he had a cold. So, hey, you know what? You walk in here, you know, this is the UFC. Sometimes you get your ass kicked. Well, and see, fans, and for that matter, media, and then media is going to, uh, you know, write the words and, 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 and say the words that are going to be passed to the fans. I mean, we're basically, they're kind of like their, their eyes and ears there, their representatives representatives uh, in terms of getting the news coming out of the fights is you have to if people have to be able to see you in defeat to be able to like you or sympathize with you in defeat if you don't give them that option if it's either you see me win or you don't see me at all well, then you're really kind of handcuffing the fans because what that means is okay they're they're allowed to like you in victory. But in defeat, you're nowhere to be. You're nowhere to be found. So they don't have a choice. They don't get to have an opinion, really, because they just know you're not there, and they know that the person who beat you is uh, is in most cases probably you know fairly gracious about it. Now, whether or not you think Amanda Nunez was, uh, we can talk about that in a second because I've I've got some audio of that as well. Me talking to her uh, after the fight, she was pleasant, but she had uh, she posted a particularly curious thing on Twitter right after <laughs> victory. But picture. but just to 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 finish on Rhonda here, you know, um, I I think the problem is that when she doesn't give fans 
that option. I mean, immediate look. I don't. I don't care. Honestly, I've always liked Rhonda. I, I've I've always had pleasant experiences with her. I, She's I, definitely a split. Oh yes, yeah, who I meet in person. Yeah. I've now probably been in social surroundings mm-hmm. with her without cameras pointing mm-hmm. at us probably about three or four different times between the gym, you know, backstage at different mm-hmm. press conferences uh, and whatnot. And uh, she's a pleasant person. She's actually really nice. I she's kind of laid back. Um, somehow. And the other thing too, that I thought was, that kind of graded me a little bit that actually annoyed me, which I think he didn't help her at all is when people are upset with someone's behavior, giving insight is one thing, but if it's an if it crosses that line towards an excuse, mm. that only enrages people more, especially when it comes from the top. Then they sit there and go, "Oh, well, she is taken care of. Look how she's cuddled." You talking about Dana's Dana saying that? Well, you know, you know, you gotta you gotta understand that Rhonda's very competitive, mm-hmm. and I wanted to laugh about that. I'm like, "Well, no shit, man." You might not be that competitive. That's why you never fought before. But we're all very competitive who fought. Mm. There is nobody who walks into the octagon who's not competitive mm-hmm. at some degree or another. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, to sit there and go that you're so competitive that, well, that's why you act like an asshole afterwards. I'm all, no, being super competitive is not an excuse for bad sportsmanship. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could sit there. If a person's a bad sport about a you know, sore loser, sore winner, you could fall back and say, well, they're super competitive. Or you can say what the rest of us say, go, you're actually just a shitty sport. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's also a whole nother level of your competitiveness to appreciate after we see you lose. And I'll go back to the Conor McGregor example, because I was in that press conference. When he lost to Nate, uh, to Nate Diaz, you know, the thought was, okay, I heard, I, we've heard he lost outside of before he was in the UFC, but we weren't over in Ireland covering those fights. So what do you get when Conor McGregor loses? You know what he sounds like when he wins? You know what he sounds like when he's building up a fight? How is this going to sound? Well, it turns out he sounded human. And, and, and he did that for 48 hours, and then he was right back to being same old confident Conor McGregor, and in fact, a bigger name and more omnipresent than he was even before he lost. And and I thought that was an opportunity that that Rhonda had but chose not to take advantage of. Now, all of this is her choice. And if she you know, it may just be that it's as simple as She's got other interests in life now. She's made an incredible amount of money. She got she got a guaranteed three million dollars for that fight. Amanda Nunez got two hundred thousand, and I think that was including the hundred thousand dollar win bonus. So you know, you talk about studies and contrasts here of somebody who's still literally fighting to pay bills and somebody who doesn't need to fight at all. Um, th- there was no financial incentive for her to do that, sh- but. I would be shocked if she fights again. I would too. I I think that, because here's the thing, she the, the the options that you laid out for her, which are viable options, I think for any other lesser fighter. Okay, drop down, fight somebody in the you know number nine, number ten, something like that. Uh, rebuild yourself. You know all those things you said. Yeah, that's a great idea for I don't know maybe somebody like Paige Van Zant. You know, a really young fighter who has had a lot very soon and got some holes exposed in her game and now needs to go back to the drawing board and reinvent. But I don't think Ronda's. I think Ronda's way past that point, and I think she's also demonstrated to us mentally that this is just this is her you know it's it's either i dominate everyone 
Or if I'm not dominating, I just kind of don't. I don't know how to halfway dominate. I don't know how to how, just compete. How about that? I, 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 I know how to dominate if I'm Ronda Rousey, but just, just run-of-the-mill competitiveness, like where you know I'm a, I'm a minus 100 against my opponent that I'm going in, a slight favorite, but not hardly at all. That's just – I just don't think that adds up to her. And yeah. she's got to be at a point in her life where – there's just probably other things that interest. Now she could prove us wrong. She could decide to fight again. I don't know, but boy, it just feels to me like, especially after seeing her, because when we were coming down at T-Mobile Arena, uh, we were told by UFC PR that we were going to talk to Amanda Nunez, Cody Garbrandt, Dominic Cruz, and T.J. Dillashaw, and that they were going to ask Ronda. And of course, there was no Ronda. Um, and once I saw that, you know, she wasn't interested in being, uh, being a part of that and, and also that, you know, with the, with the team around her, uh, Edmund, for example, I mean, you touched on Edmund a, a minute ago and Edmund's just getting roasted on this deal. I will say this, Edmund's a very emotional guy. The fact that he's screaming like he was in the corner, you know, if, if you've seen that, everybody's isolated the audio, he screams that way when his fighter is winning. If you've ever heard the isolated audio of uh, when uh, Travis Brown beat Brendan Schaub, he's yelling just like he's not yelling pinpoint Greg Jackson instructions. No. <laughs> he's uh, you know he that that's his 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 persona. I tell you what, there's another guy who uh, you know I haven't exactly had the Fabricio Verdum style interaction with him, but my when I see him, he's very pleasant. And I, these are two people who privately strike me as pleasant people, but I just, I, this whole week with the Rhonda thing, it was just a bummer is all it was. It wasn't, I mean, I don't, it, that doesn't affect me one way or another, really personally. Uh, we, it gives us all something to talk about, but whether or not she's gonna, you know, give an interview or not, it's just more, like, I, and I, I'm sure this sort of thing trickles down to the fans, whereas, you know, normally when it's, when it's, it's, it's fight week and I love this job and I'm excited and here we go down to the hotel and, and, uh, you know, all the, all the guys and girls aren't always, you know, some fighters are more engaging than others are naturally outgoing, but you know what almost every single one of them is, it's just pleasant to see they they're happy they're getting a chance to talk about what they get to do for a living and yeah okay so they maybe they have to put up with some knucklehead questions here or there that's on that's on my side of it we we need to raise the bar and you know ask some thought provoking questions but i just don't ever have experience even poor old johnny Hendricks, who was in the middle of i mean looked like he was just walking dead trying to go through his weight cut was still pleasant to talk to he still got you excited to watch him fight and that's what the whole point of it is it's not just you know mental masturbation for all of us the whole idea is we're supposed to go down there talk to frank mirror about he's got a fight coming up on saturday and he's excited about it and and here's how he sees his uh, uh, opponent and I will sort of be the conduit for that and we'll put it on the radio or put it in print or whatever and next thing you know people are buying pay-per-views and they're getting their buddies together on Saturday night and they're all chipping in and they're watching this thing and you know what that's why you don't have to build roofs for a living sorry sure. I mean I, I just I get kind of no. you know let's 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 keep all this in perspective yeah yeah I mean and, you know and basically everybody you did an interview with didn't make as much money as she made no. combined. 
No, not at all. Not at all. But um, anyway, I just, I hate it for her. She could have hurdled that last one. She could have softened the blow of what was about to occur. Had she grabbed the mic after the fight or, you know, even just, you know, collected herself inside the locker room and, you know, went out to that post-fight interview. I think she could have explained things. And uh, I don't think people would have find it hard to... uh, relate to Mm -hmm. and you know you want to talk about something that's incredibly relatable i mean not to put words in her mouth but i i know she has made comments publicly about uh, of course she's in the relationship with travis brown and they're in love and she'd like to have some kids and all that kind of stuff if she got up at a post-fight press conference and said you know what it's I've accomplished so much in my life. I've 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 made an incredible amount of money, uh, the Olympics, the world title, and everything. You know what I'm thinking right now at this point in my life? It's just incomplete if I don't have a family, and that's where my head is at. Do you know every person who's sitting at home watching that with their wife and their brood of kids or whatever? That's the kind of feeling everybody can relate to when they go, "Wow, you well, know what? I may not have done all the right things in my life, but I got this, and this is the most yeah, important." And I think thing. people now, because uh, just on a glance, I was seeing a few articles where, and one of them I forgot, I think it was like from CBS, uh, was saying that was Ronda ever really that good to begin with? Mm-hmm. That's how bad. Like yeah. now, those questions are starting to arrive, arise that. Was she ever any good to begin with? Was she kind of lucky? Is she a one-trick pony? But had she gone that route, said, "Hey, look, I'm shifting gears. Uh, you know, my mind's not. You know, I, I tried to force something that's just not there. You know, I've been a competitor my whole life. I'm ready to, you know, to be a mother and a wife, and you know, and that just took something from me that I used to have and I don't have anymore. I think people then would have said, "Oh, okay. Now we're not going to tarnish what she used to be." This is just what she became, and now we're seeing somebody who's in a transitional aspect of their life. You know, people do that. You know, we move on. You know, shit. Hobbies change, relationships change, interests change. Uh, who you are as a person now is not who you're going to be a person from 20 years from now. So I think people can relate to that, like you said, and that would have been a much better route to go than basically really not saying anything is the worst thing she could have done. Let's uh, play a little montage of audio here. Uh, I had uh, got in a couple of questions with uh, Amanda Nunez, uh, Cody Garbrandt, Dominic Cruz, and TJ Dillashaw after uh, the fight card had concluded at UFC 207. And uh, we'll start with Amanda here, but a montage of the fighters, both uh, winners and losers that night, and uh, thoughts on their performances and where they're headed next. Amanda, uh to your uh, left, front row. You uh, you came into this fight uh, as the champion, but uh, uh, of course you were uh, a few fighters removed from the woman who had beat Ronda Rousey and and started the layoff. Do you feel like this was an important question to, to answer to fight Ronda for you, even though you were already the champion, to to uh, be able to have that definitive fight and the victory against Ronda, particularly? Yeah, Ronda. It's still the biggest name in this division. And I want my, my defense be big. And I have to, you know, ask for a big, a big uh, pay-per-view sell. It's Ronda Rousey is the one making this happen. That's why I ask for. Now, we, uh, of course, did not get to see you do a lot of media because Ronda wasn't uh, doing media. 
But uh, uh, already the, the first tweet from your Twitter account is making a lot of news here uh, on the Internet. Uh, are we going to maybe see more of your personality come out so you do more media now that you've got this victory over Ronda? Is that something you look forward to doing? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I'm a little bit shy. I don't like to talk a lot. And I don't, I'm, I'm not very good with camera either. But if I have to do, this is my job, you know. I have to answer you guys. But... I'm, I'm okay, you know, I'm a simple girl, I'm, I like to keep it like that, and if I have to do, I do, that's no problem. Lastly, it was a very short fight, we knew you were coming in as the striker, she uh, as the judo player, uh, we didn't really get a chance to see you to clinch up very much, but was that something that you had, had trained for, potentially knowing you would try to avoid clinches with her, is that something you were more prepared to do if the fight had gone a lot longer? Yeah, I th I think like I have it like so dangerous hands, so dangerous hands. I don't need a clinch. I know I can finish the fight without clinch. But if if we uh, if the, she clinch me, I'm gonna be ready for. I've been training judo, like I, I say in my whole interview. I've been training judo my whole life with in jiu-jitsu. I'm black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I'm ready everywhere. I told you guys, and I show you guys tonight. Cody, you've uh, gotten to this right here in the front row. You've gotten to this point, uh, the championship, pretty quickly in your career. Uh, how, do you feel like people were sleeping on you coming into this fight, or do you think it was just a matter of the fact that people needed to see you against top competition to, to really fully appreciate your skill level? I guess so, you know, uh, there's a lot of what ifs, what if he doesn't, how's his cardio, how is he in the position, and Dominic didn't know either, I knew that he'd be a desperate man in there when he couldn't take me down, when he couldn't get his offense going, and that's what you saw, a desperate Dominic Cruz, you know, a very desperate Dominic Cruz to figure me out, and he was getting hit with hard shots, you know, and that changes the whole game plan of a fight, uh, granted he took my shots and, and, and kept fighting, hats off to him, but, uh, you know, for everybody, you know, everybody that's... I can go out there and knock everybody out, but still, oh, he didn't go to the fourth round, or he's never fought a top five guy, or, but I'm consecutively going out there knocking people out. You know, I can see if I was having tough fights with them, but I'm going out there, doing, calling my shots, doing what I do best is knock people out. Uh, so this was a, a very huge win for me, not against even Dominic Cruz, just my performance, and going out there and being, becoming better as a fighter. My next fight, I want to be even better. And this is just a start for me. I'm 11-0. Um, I was... My debut was four years ago with a year layoff. Uh, I knew what, what I needed to do was come out to Team Alpha Male. I went out there three years ago, and I knew that for, for me to be a world champion, that's where I needed to go. That's where I needed to be and be around those guys, and those guys have gotten me here. Everyone else has had a helping hand, but Team Alpha Male polished me up and brought this dream to me. You know, this, They brought this to me. This is uh, them, bread and butter. You know, Uriah Faber. I couldn't do without him. You know, he's the one that paved the way for fighters like myself to have a dream, to have, you know, to have this all. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on part of his team, and uh, it was a step to get on the team and then represent the team, then get in the UFC, and I'll fight for the title and then win the title, and I'm bringing this shit back to Sacramento where it belongs. And you alluded to my other question there, uh, which is the fact that, that you had only been to the end of the third round one time in your career. Tonight you go five hard-fought rounds. 
sure it would have been easier physically to get out of there sooner. But uh, uh, in addition to winning the title, is there some satisfaction in having that statement on your record too, a five-round fight of the night so that that question is, is not asked in the future? Well, well that's a five-round fight of the night with one of the best, arguably the best that ever did it, the one that's talked about the cardio king that pushes the pace and, and, and all that. So I think I science a lot of the critics. But for me, that was just for myself. I could care less about what the media says, what everyone else says, but about me, you know, because I'm not paying my bills, I'm not doing any of that, it's myself, so I'm very satisfied with this win, but I know I have a lot to work on, like I said, this is just the beginning, I'm just getting started. Dominic, you went into this fight having never been knocked out, you still never been knocked out, you went five rounds. Uh, Cody Garbrandt went into this being known as uh, a power striker, was there anything about his power that made it more difficult for you to employ your your normal strategy than than any other fight that you felt? I would say it was just the little things. Like I was throwing empty kicks. I wasn't setting them up as well, so that allowed him to counter better with his power instead of setting my kicks up better. Um, that would have allowed me to close the range a little bit better instead of him pulling me into his power. So there's little adjustments I can make to make this a better fight, make it a little bit closer, make it a little bit more competitive to where I could win it. Um, but tonight was his night. I don't think I'm older. I don't think I'm off. I don't think I'm slower. I think I'm still quick. I just think he controlled the range a little bit better. If you control the range, you can make people look a little bit slower because they're covering a further distance. If they're not throwing at you and they're sitting and waiting for you, then they're able to counter better with heavier strikes with their feet planted. That's what he did. I landed a lot of low kicks on him. I landed a lot of uh, up high kicks. I I had a, a great output. But that was also what allowed me to get clipped a couple times. So I'm there put on a show. If I would have pulled back and stopped throwing a little bit, I think the fight could have been a little bit more stagnant. But who the hell wants to watch that? I'm here to have fun. I'm here to challenge myself. And I have to have that output in order to go out there and try to win this fight. And there wasn't one second of this fight I wasn't trying to win. I chased him around that cage the entire fifth round. He went for a shot and wanted to hold me against the cage in the fifth round to make sure he sealed that win and you know that shows uh smarts on his part he's taking a page out of my book in the sense of fighting i still don't think he's the sharpest tool in the shed but that doesn't mean he can fight he can't fight and that's the thing that i know about this is you can be as smart as you want on the outside but when it comes into there it's still a scrap but i was there in the scrap too so the way i see it is i got the smarts and i got the fight in me so i'm still here and i'm still in it when we see a dominant champion in the UFC suffer a defeat, I think there's a lot of attention in the immediate aftermath of how quickly are they going to rebound. In the main event, of course, we saw Ronda Rousey coming back from a long layoff. Uh, Conor McGregor, on the other hand, seemed to step on the gas after his defeat to Nate Diaz. As uh, 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 soon as you're healthy, how quickly would you like to get right back into the flow of things? Yeah, it's a good question. Um... I think I've proven that that whole rust thing doesn't exist. You can say what you want about after this win tonight, but it just doesn't. It, it really is made up by the weak-minded, and I hate to say it, but sometimes the media. I'm part of the media at this point with all you guys out there. And I can tell you that's made up. So if I need to take a year off, I'll take a year off. If I want to come back in six months, I'll come back in six months. I got my coaches here. I got the best coaches in the world, the best teammates in the world at Alliance Training Center. I still say Jeremy Stevens hits way harder than that guy. But I was in a game of inches tonight, and I lost. And it's, you know, this is the way it goes. Um, 
it, it was good to be be able to at least fight somebody with a with a good heart. I said what I want about the guy, about his smarts and whatnot, but he does have a good heart, and that's important. So um, enjoy being at the top, Cody. You're a young champion. Try to keep it. That's tough. Let's see what you do with it. TJ, uh, I, I know you wanted the title shot tonight that Cody Garbrandt got, but now that everything has played out the way this evening that it has, you putting on a dominant performance and him having a star-making performance, can you can you maybe think now that the 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 title shot with you guys matching up is actually going to have greater anticipation and probably be a more marketable fight as a result? Yeah, most yeah, absolutely. They're gonna they're gonna play up the drama like crazy for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's what's gonna happen for sure. You know, the calf slicer was mentioned, and uh, I've, I've noted before that in your fights, even when you're comfortably ahead on scorecards, you seem like you're never really afraid to go for it, even in the third round when you don't necessarily have to. Is that a cognizant thought you have, or is that just an instinct that kicks in that even though you're ahead on the scorecards, you're still going to step on the gas? Uh, just an instinct. You know, I mean, I train so hard that I'm in such good shape that I can I can push it, you know. Um I don't want to be a boring fighter. You know, I, I mean, not, not only am I going to uh, look good in technical fighting, but I don't want to be boring. I want to be one of those guys that's even when I'm on top, I'm punishing someone or I'm looking for the submission. I'm always working. And lastly, what was he saying to you? Could you understand what he was saying to you when he, he was on bottom? He was saying something to you. Yeah, I have no idea what he said. I even told him, I was like, I don't understand what you're saying. You know, I, w- I wish I spoke Portuguese, but I, I don't, unfortunately. So there's a little montage of audio, Frank, of uh, me talking to uh, some of the main card fighters Friday night after uh, UFC 207 had concluded. Now, you heard me talk to TJ Dillashaw there about the fact that he really felt like this title fight was his, uh, that Garbrandt got. And, of course, now he wants that title shot against Garbrandt for... uh, for Garbrandt's part, he's expressing interest in uh, doing a rematch with Dominic Cruz, and, and we'll get his head coach, Justin Buckholtz's uh, thoughts on that here momentarily when he joins us. But uh, what did you think, first of all, of Dillashaw's utter dominance of, of a very, very tough opponent in John Lineker? A guy that just looks like he just beat on him for yeah. 10 rounds and Super impressed, finish uh, him. You know, I think that he has a very elusive style like Dominic Cruz does, but I think it's a little bit more damaging, uh, a little bit more aggressive. Mm. Uh, you know, he comes forward a little bit more. You know, Dominic Cruz great at doing angles, but I think Dominic's style works best when people chase him. And, uh, you know, I think the missing component he was missing against uh, uh, Cody was he wouldn't just sit there and like, okay, now I'll just be a conventional boxer and throw a jab and use your length. And then that way Cody now has to come forward. You can go back to your fancy footwork, Mm -hmm. changing angles and, you know, getting outside of him uh, on an angle. Whereas, uh, um, uh, Lineker, no, um, Dominic Cruz, TJ Dillashaw. Thank you. TJ Dillashaw. It was like MMA $20,000 pyramid. Uh, he's a, he's a bantamweight. He's uh, uh, trains with uh, Bangalore. TJ Dillashaw. Yes. Yes. So uh, uh, TJ has a much more aggressive style with that slickness. And, uh, you know, I really think that it's going to be extremely, I was impressed with how much he, you know, dominated Lineker, you know, uh, who's an extremely hard hitter and just took him down. I mean, not an easy guy to take down. I mean, he's a powerfully built 
shorter guy that, you know, essentially those are not the easiest guys to take down to change levels on. It's low center of gravity, powerful, plus, you know, you don't want to eat an uppercut coming in. And, you know, he used his, his hands and his footwork to secure takedowns and really just, I mean, uh, he... I thought he was going to win the fight. I didn't think he would dominate it the way he did. You know, he completely shut, you know, Lineker out. He made Lineker at the end look so exposed. It's like, wow, this guy actually might not even really be that good on a technical level. He mm. just hits hard. Yeah. Uh, he has a lot of time to improve. And, and I don't know if that's a fair assessment of Lineker. I just think he fought somebody who's just very technical and surpassed him and gave him basically a, a schooling. Um, I think that's a super interesting fight, you know, to jump ahead right now. Teach Jay versus um, uh, uh, Cody Garbrandt. Uh, I could see Cody and them maybe not wanting that fight for their first title defense. I think right now out of the two and just stylistically speaking – I think Cody might be more of a difficult fight for him than Dominic Cruz. And, mm-hmm. you know, as far as uh, better level changes, better ability to take down, and uh, more aggressive coming forward. Whereas, uh, you know, Dominic just, he, he wasn't busy enough. And he, Dominic's style, I really saw, kind of needs you to be aggressive. Dominic, you don't want to chase him around. He'll just he'll tear, tear you to shreds. But if you're not, you know, like basically what Cody did was every time he stood there, he's like, okay, I'm going to back up half an inch, back up half an inch. I'm going to stay right outside the range. And, you know, when you throw your first shot, my feet will be planted. I'll throw two or three. Um, You know, just I think Dillashaw will come forward more. The thing that, and you heard me in the audio there give credit uh, to T.J. Dillashaw for this, but I've, I've said it outside of his presence a number of times about this guy. That calf slicer that he went for uh late in the third round let me let me tell you about this guy what i love about tj dillashaw is that and he was this way in the hen and burrell fight uh he was this way in the joe soto fight uh when joe soto was at late late replacement after burrell couldn't make weight it doesn't matter if he's comfortably ahead Two and a half rounds in a three-round fight or four and a half rounds in a five-round fight, he will go for it. He does not cruise. He doesn't coast. T.J. Dillashaw is going to go for a finish whether or not he can get it or not. And to me, some might say, okay, well, maybe that's going to come back to bite him at some point. I personally think that if you've got a reputation for doing that, imagine you've gotten your ass kicked by a TJ Dillashaw for four and a half rounds and you may still not have seen the worst of it. Like you may this you can't even take refuge in the fact that okay, I'm gonna get shut out on the scorecards, but at least he's gonna play it safe and not try to uh, you know, submit me. I mean, he is he is uh, going for it every minute of that fight, and I, I think that makes him a very exciting fighter to watch. And also, I think kind of an underrated fighter when it comes to marketability. You know, true. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's just maybe a little bit of a misconnect. I don't know what it is, but you're right. TJ doesn't seem to get the recognition mm-hmm. that that really he is deserving of his fighting ability. Uh, I mean, when he destroyed Hennen Barral two times in a row Hennen was you know being talked of one of the best fighters pound for pound I mean yep. right before he fought Barrow to take the title from Barrow had destroyed Uriah Faber in one round people don't destroy Uriah Faber in one round I don't think Uriah has ever been stopped in one round other than that fight that I can right. think of uh, off the top of my head I mean Jose Aldo he fought to the finish mm-hmm. uh, getting his leg beat up um, uh, Frankie Edgar he fought all five rounds mm-hmm. you know the losses to Cruz yeah, losses to Cruz, five-round losses. 
Um, so to sit there and stop Uriah in one round, Burrell was looking like, you know, like, you know, the next coming of Anderson Silva in his prime. Yeah. And TJ went out there not only once, destroyed him, but kicked his ass even worse the second time. Joining us on Phone Booth Fighting now, Frank, is the head coach of Team Alpha Male, the man who uh, stewarded Cody Garbrandt to victory this past Friday night here in Las Vegas at UFC 207, bringing home the men's bantamweight UFC gold to Team Alpha Male up there in Sacramento, and also, some would say just if not more importantly, the co-host of the Stud Show Radio podcast. We'll be talking about that as well. It's Justin Buckholtz. Justin, well, first of all, welcome to the show, and congratulations on a huge weekend, man. Man, thanks a lot. I, uh, I appreciate coming on the show, man. Big fan of you guys. No, uh, we're I'm a, we are a big fan of yours as well, and uh, I am a uh, loyal listener to Stud Show Radio. In fact, you we uh, we were coordinating our times tonight to have you on the show around a Stud Show Radio taping. Right? Did that did that go down? Yeah, yeah. We just finished up right now. All right, preview that episode for everybody. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you're talking about uh, Cody's win and everything. When when do you guys upload your uh, podcast episodes? When can everybody grab that one? Uh, I think you can you can you can download it now, or you can you can watch it now on YouTube. We just finished. We do it live, and uh, Cody actually called in. Oh, at awesome. Danny Castillo and Chris Holdsworth uh, in studio, and uh, uh, Cody's uncle, his boxing coach, called in as well. So it's a pretty interesting episode. We talk about the entire the entire fight week and the dynamic between the coaches and Cody and and how everything went down. It's pretty cool. Is that is that Cody's uncle with the dangerous jab that he was demonstrating on uh, the Embedded series? That's right. Yeah. That's Sting, and that's that. That's the Stingray jab. That thing is mean. Now, I first learned about the Stingray jab when uh, we co- me and Stingray cornered Cody in his first fight in the UFC, and uh, he was referring to Marcus Brimage. He's like, Cody, I would knock him out with my jab. He just kept saying that the whole time, and then he would throw this thing. He'd be like, Wow, he could knock him out with that. And we finally got it, uh, got got it on tape. Now, Frank, you know, uh, uh, Justin just mentioned Danny Castillo there, who was also in Cody Garbrandt's corner. You know what we have to thank Danny Castillo for, don't you? Frank Mirface. Frank Mirface. That's right. He's <laughs> <laughs> he's the man who Classic. Uh, first coined the coined the term. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk some podcasting here in a minute. But but just tell me uh, first off, you know, tell tell Frank and I both. Uh, what the last, you know, couple of three or four days has, has been like since Cody, you know, upset arguably one of the best ever in Dominic Cruz and uh, in, in, in a really short period of time. I mean, this this is something I brought up to Cody in the uh, post-fight press conference that, you know, you kind of can't blame some people for maybe sleeping on him a little bit just because he got to this point in a, a relatively quick period of time. I mean, he made his MMA debut, debut four years ago yeah. to yesterday, I believe. He's been in the UFC for two years. But at the beginning of this year, he uh, he was 2-0 and in the UFC and nowhere near contender talk. And in one year, he knocked out three three extremely tough guys in the first round and, and won the Bantamweight title. So, you know, if, if that's not fight of the year, I don't know what is. And, uh, you know, he's just done, done an amazing job. And, and reacting to it, I mean, the entire team and, uh, you know, all the coaches and all the fighters are just, we're just all, uh, like, on cloud nine right now. And, uh, you know, Monday practice, Monday morning uh, pro practice was the first practice of the year. And I seriously went into that practice 
thinking of ways I could really, really push these guys. And I just was going to kill them. You know, this, we were just going to, we we're going to work super hard just to send a good message of how we're running this year. And, and after, you know, after having such a great, great weekend, you know, I don't want anyone to rest on those laurels. You know, we got to work hard. We got targets on our back now. And, uh, you know, two hours into practice, I, I'm working these guys out and, and I just can't, can't even, can't tire them out. I can't even get a rise out of them. They just got these, these like happy little looks on their face, just doing rep after rep, you know, um, uh, it's crazy, man. Every, I mean, the team, I told Cody, I said, man, the team is 50% better, you know? Uh, and, and I'm sure you've heard that when a, when a belt comes into camp, that entire camp gets better. And the fighter, once he gets the belt, he, you only saw 50% of what he could do. You know, once you wrap that belt around the waist and he proves to everyone what he knows, uh, you know, it's just, uh, his potential can just, expand exponentially and, and he's just scratched the surface of that potential and, and you know we can't wait for for this 2017 what about that frank when uh you know what it's like to bring home a title do you find that inspires everybody around you training part i know i know i know every time you brought home a heavyweight title the kids have a 50 percent better time at disneyland i know that happens <laughs> <That's true. laughs> uh, i don't ever really have the same experiences that you know cody and uriah and those guys have i've always been more of uh on the other end of the spectrum i've always been kind of the lone wolf so yeah see that's one of the coolest things justin and you know i've i've when you and i've talked uh, podcasting i've i've tried to you know impress upon that fact that uh i think that's one of the really unique things that uh, that Stud Show Radio has in terms of the that that communi- that communal spirit of a of a of not only a brotherhood but a, a a pretty large one and and sisterhood now it's expanded too as well but uh, you know like Frank just said I mean even of of the elite group of people that have won UFC titles there's still an even smaller number of people that have really been able to bring that home to an actual team or a camp that they were a uh, you know an uh, an intrinsic part of so in that sense I mean that's that's got to be kind of a special experience within the experience yeah I mean I, I can agree more it's like uh, we're like a family up here and every team like, well most teams say that but you know most of us have lived together we've seen we've seen each other at our best and at our worst and we're all still here and that just creates like a tight-knit bond and and for Cody to go and grab that belt the way he did and bring it back here uh, you know, we're just, we're just on, on another, another level as a team and Cody as a fighter. Uh, we're just, just very excited to get about it. Frank, what's up with your commentary, man? I miss you commentating. Well, if you uh, fight the ACBs on our show, I've been uh, doing that, keeping it going. So yeah, if you know, oh, nice. yeah, the, the ACB bear Crute, uh, promotion, Frank's been going back and forth to Russia to commentate those fights. And actually there's going to oh. be a, there's going to be a card in LA, uh, coming up January, what, what? January 13th. Yeah, January 13th uh, in, in L.A. So if you happen to find yourself down Southern California way, Justin. Uh, but we stream those right. uh, We stream those on our uh, uh, Facebook page, Phone Booth Fighting, as well, so you can hear uh, Frank commentate the uh, the fights. But uh, that's – that's well, in, yeah, go ahead. I always enjoyed your commentary for WC, and it's funny because I was just talking to Chuck Valencia the other day, Cruz's first opponent at 135 pounds, and I actually – trained uh charlie for that fight and cornered him and you were commentating uh mir was commentating it and he said he said man i really like the corner advice coming out of charlie valencia's charlie valencia's corner they're saying that when cruz breaks his head over they need to meet him with the kick and he's like and it looks like that that'd be a very effective technique well cody hit that technique right off the, in the in the third round uh you know two days ago so 
<laughs> it's a big it's a big circle like uh it just it just really came full circle from Corner and Charlie to finally beating Cruz like yeah. uh you know to finally seeing Cody Cody beat Cruz you know this guy's been been getting wins against my friends and teammates for a while now yeah and and to that end um you know was it um Justin did this title I, I I'm assuming he's got to feel more more special than you know even when when uh when TJ won the belt because of course it wasn't very long after that that he was he was uh gone from team alpha male and that kind of stuff I mean that was you know you're I, I always try to make sure to, to to point out to people who didn't really follow you know the WEC product or maybe their newer fans weren't around I mean Uriah was the lighter weight class champion when the UFC didn't have a lighter weight class so in my mind Uriah was what should have been a UFC lighter weight class you know a champion at that point yeah best in the world yeah but you know uh, nonetheless because of circumstances he never actually you know claimed a, 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 a UFC title but you know when when TJ had that I mean it was cool that did for you guys that he had come up through Alpha Male and all that kind of stuff but I'm guessing that this time around it's got to feel even more special because that title it's it's not like that that title's about to leave and go somewhere else with Cody yeah there, there, there's there's no way I mean the first thing you know Cody's the type of guy you could tell by uh you know his relationship with Max Maple like uh, you know, he he helped save a kid's life. There's a kid with leukemia. Yeah. By giving him hope and inspiring him and making that promise to him, uh, you know, you can tell by the type of guy Cody is. He he he's the kind of teammate. He is one of the best teammates. He puts the team first. He's never late. He's one of the first guys to show up on the mat. You know what I mean? He cares about his his teammates, and uh, uh, you know, the we have no no worries about Cody Cody leave, <laughs> leaving to go anywhere. But uh, you know, if you look at the timetable of of the of the of the world title when TJ won it here, that was um, you know I think thirteen months ago. Yeah. So the belt left left our camp for thirteen months, and this is something I've been saying all year. When Faber was going to face Cruz and whatnot, I mean, we were we were saying that you know the one hundred thirty five pound title does not leave Team Alpha Male for long. And on the last day of the year, with the new coaching staff and the new programs we implemented, you know, when everyone was writing us off last year. Uh, around this time, they're all writing us off and saying we were done. And, you know, the champ had left our camp. We, we, we didn't have a coach and whatever else for it to end the way it did with the performance Cody put on. It just couldn't have been any better, you know? Let me tell you, Frank, uh, uh, Justin just, yeah, it was one hell of a performance. We're going to, we're going to break that down here in a second, but uh, I wanted to tell you too, uh, because I was there at the post fight press conference, Frank, uh, uh, Justin just mentioned the fact that, uh, Cody had, uh, Maddox, uh, the young kid there right. that had fought leukemia and everything with him and, and gave him the belt and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was cool. But I think he kind of buried the lead because what a lot of people didn't get to see is Cody may have given him the belt, but this kid Maddox, he strolled into the post fight press conference with all the alpha male ladies. He looked like he looked like the youngest pimp in Vegas that night. I went home and told my girlfriend Justin. I went home and told my girlfriend. I was like, "This kid comes in." He might have just ruined the kid. It was like it was like he strolls in with like half a dozen tens, right? Am I right you about go from that? There, though, man, as he gets older. That's hey, that's Team Alpha Male style. 
Yeah, it was it was very uh, it was very impressive. All right, so let's talk about the fight itself, Frank, because I know you got a, a lot of thoughts on the analysis of it and everything. You know, it was I think it was tough, Justin, and you know, Frank. I mean, you you weigh in here because it was tough for a lot of people to pick against Cruz because he has been so dominant. Yeah. He's had the body of work he's had. It's not that it, people didn't know Cody could hit hard, but I think you know. Talk about being the victim of your own success because he hit so hard and because he knocked so many people out. Guess what? You hadn't really seen him go to the third round except for twice in his career and and only once to to a decision. So you know, being in a five round fight, there were questions about what that was going to be like. And to to, to my uh, way of thinking, Frank, he answered all those questions and then some. Yeah, he did. Actually, the one thing that and and. Uh, you guys can go back. Before the fight, I thought Dominic would win the fight. I had said that I felt that Cody Garbrandt was going to be the champion, but it was early in his career that, mm. you know, at this point fighting Dominic, you know, maybe the next time, you know. Uh, I just didn't see how they were going to get past the reach and footwork of Dominic Cruz. And they did the thing that I didn't expect was that by backing up six inches every time, backing up six inches, just staying outside of Dominic's reach, Dominic came at them and gave up basically his reach at that moment, and he would throw his one or two shots, and Cody's combinations were just, as soon as he'd fire off, it's like, oh, well, that's how he closed the distance. He just brought Dominic to him. Justin? Man, yeah, that's that's the perfect an analysis. I mean, the key to the game plan was making Cruz come to us, and, you know, the way Cody did it, like, I mean, if Cruz was, was not coming after Cody, Cody would start dancing. You can't, you can't let someone just breakdance on you without doing something and Cruz you know fell for the trap and he came in hard and you know when you get in that range like this is something that that I've been saying about Cruz I always take you know a famous boxing match or another fight and I, I put that to to Cody and say hey this fight is similar to this and the fight I picked was Sergio Martinez versus uh, Miguel Cotto and Freddie mm -hmm. Roach has said from the start Martinez does everything wrong Martinez was champion he, he was undefeated for a while he was a dominant champion it was like a 160 and uh, I think he was a favorite against Cotto, but Freddie Roach had said from the start, Sergio Martinez does everything wrong when it comes to boxing. He pulls straight back. His hands are down. You know what I mean? So if that, if that fighter, if we get Cruz to come to us, we get within boxing range, Cody's got the big hands. He is, I always say, be, be brilliant with the fundamentals. The fundamentals are really going to get you through this. And Cody is brilliant with the fundamentals. And once he got into Cody's range, Cody was able to unload on him. And it came down to... Cruz having one or two moves of defense and then getting caught up in his own stance, you know, pulling down hands out and hands down. And Cody was able to capitalize. Now, now that it can it can all be told, Justin, uh, tell us this part of it behind the scenes because, you know, we Frank and I both agree that uh, you know uh, Dominic has a talent of uh, passive aggressiveness uh, verbally when it comes to uh you know talking up a fight and and you know he's a he's an articulate guy and uh uh engaging in that and to me come fight time Cody non-verbally a hundred percent physically answered every despair every uh dis disparaging word that Dominic Cruz had cast toward him with his physicality in the ring. Some of those antics, which, you know, a lot of times those are kind of, uh, you know, here and gone and people uh, for, forget about. But I thought it wasn't just showboating. It was playing a, a, a very key role in reversing that psychology 
on Dominic and just doing it in I mean I know he was talking to him in there as well but but using uh it was almost like the difference between a uh, uh you know uh, uh like physical comedy and spoken comedy but either either is just as effective when it's uh when it's being practiced by uh by by someone that, that's that's talented in that in that uh medium so did it seem like that was you know really Cody's in cage answer to the out of the cage stuff that that Dominic had done in the week leading up to it. I mean, I would I would say for sure that for sure the thing with, with Cody was he wanted to punish Cruz, and you know Cruz had mentioned some stuff about uh, you know involving Cody's girlfriend, and right. you know Cody doesn't play any punk ball, man. That guy, you want to fuel his fire? Be my guest. When 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 he uh, starts turning it on and sparring, he zones up. Like if you hit him or upset him. He gets in the zone. It's a different kind of thing. He's like a different kind of animal. And if you want to, you know, poke the bear, then be my guest. He's just going to, he just gets sharper. He doesn't lose his composure. He sharpens up. He gets more in the zone. And, uh, you know, that was, that was, that was what happened that night. It was, it was Cody hitting him, pointing at him, crying on him, having fun in there and, and, you know, really trying to punish Cruz. Now, what about, and, you know, a credit to Cruz. Yeah, go ahead. A, a credit to Cruz's toughness, man. The guy is, you know, I, I got to say, like, after watching that fight, now I cornered TJ Dillashaw against Cruz, and, you know, TJ was, was kicked the, the crap out of his leg. And, I, you know, after this fight with Cody, where Cody, I mean, Cody hit so hard, he can drop an elephant. He broke an orbital bone in camp. Uh, not him, he broke someone else's orbital bone. Uh, you know, and this is sparring. He had knockouts in sparring with the big gloves on. And, and he's not necessarily trying to do this, but we're putting, he's getting in these positions where, you know, a, a kid with his kind of power is landing clean and you're coming in, you know, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get knocked out. But, uh, um, you know, it was, it was just, just a masterclass performance by Cody and, and, uh, you know, I don't know. We we just couldn't be more stoked about it. Now, what about where he goes from here, Justin? Because uh, you know, I was in there in the post fight press conference. TJ obviously thought that you know that that should have been his title shot that Cody got, and uh, on the undercard, he defeated John Lineker uh, to to solidify his uh, number one contendership, at least in the rankings. Uh, Cody, for his part, said he'd like to have a a, a rematch with uh, Dominic Cruz. And uh, I know that uh, you've weighed in on this, and you've even mentioned names like uh, uh, Jose Aldo. So, what what are the thoughts for Cody uh, moving forward as champ? I mean, with uh, with that after that performance, Cody's really put himself on the mat, especially especially on the the Rousey undercard. All the eyes of the MMA world were were on the cage that night, and for him to perform like that, man, he's put himself up there. He already has a rabid fan base, like the guy connects with like i don't know he's he's seriously like a you know connects to that justin bieber fan base like uh you know for for him to have to have that kind of draw power and after that kind of performance of not only dethroning one of the best pound for pound most dominant champions the ufc has seen you know but doing it in that fashion uh you know the money fight is, is where he should go and if that's with jose aldo or conor mcgregor or someone at featherweight uh, this guy, he packs a punch to 170 pounds. He's like one of those guys like Roberto Duran. You know, he, he's going to carry that punch up a couple weight classes. And, you know, the speed will still be there, man. It, it, it Speed is power. And, uh, you know, that night I think Cody was one of the fastest guys, if not the fastest guy to step in, in a UFC cage. Uh, so I, I think those big fights are out there for him. But in the division, too, Dominic Cruz, uh, 
being such a dominant champion like that. I would love to get Dominic in there again real quick to put a stamp on this performance. Like, uh, and, and you know, if Dominic doesn't want doesn't want to, I can understand that. You know, I, I wouldn't want to either. I want to go back and fight like in a Sun Tower or something and come back and try to figure Cody out. I wouldn't want to jump in there again. But you know, uh, I, I would like to get to get Dominic back in there. Was there an agreement when Cody Garbrandt became a member of Team Alpha Male, Justin, that he would get all of the tattoos for everyone? <laughs> he showed up with those tattoos, man. We advised against it. I was like, hey, man, <laughs> no more, all right? You know, you got enough. Yeah, because you guys, you guys are kind of feast or famine. It looked like you picked one designated guy to get all the tattoos, you know? So whenever, <laughs> whenever one guy's thinking about getting one, they just have him get another one. I've always wondered that. Yeah. Right, now, but now, you know, it's spreading, though. Andre Fee's got the neck tech. He's mm. got a lot of ink. A lot of guys on the team got some, some ink now. There you go. Yeah. Uh, now, okay, so, well, what about the coaching situation between you and uh, I know Chris Holsworth is there assisting for you? Because for people who don't know this, okay, let's just back up for a second. Let's assume everybody that uh, listens to phone booth fighting is not, you know, the most hardcore fan or, or, or whatever. Uh, Justin has had his, his own fight career. He's had fights in the UFC. Would you have about tw- 25 or so fights, right? Pro fights, roughly? Yeah. 25? Yeah. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, a, a member of Team Alpha Male in your own right. Now, if you follow the coaching lineage of Team Alpha Male, Alpha Male never really had a, a head coach uh, for a long period of time. Then you guys had uh, Dwayne Ludwig, success there, certainly. Then Dwayne left. Martin Campman was, was coaching there for a bit. And I know Uriah had told me at some point that the plan was always kind of temporary for Martin himself, that he had plans to, you know, not, not be there indefinitely. But at that point... You become a uh, head coach of Team Alpha Male. What are you? Are you like thirty three, Justin? Roughly? Yes. Okay. You're, first of all, how amazing is it to be a successful world champion head coach at thirty three? And then add into the fact that your genetics are good enough that you could pass for twenty two. So things are not going <laughs> things are not going poorly for you uh, right now, Justin. But uh, just kind of talk us through that, like for fans who don't know. I mean, how did you, was it a long range plan to come into that head coaching position? Exactly how did you evolve into it? You know, uh, I, I actually, when I joined Team Alpha Male, uh, you know, that was b- before there was a Team Alpha Male. It was me. I came in, the first day I came to the gym, I rolled with Danny Castillo and Joseph Benavides, Dustin Akbari, our longtime Jiu Jitsu coach, and uh, Uriah was there. Those are probably the only recognizable names that are still around from that first era. And that was before there was a team alpha male. I think uh, they were calling themselves Capital Fighting Alliance or something along those lines. Hmm. And that was when even James Irvin and uh, 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 Scott Smith was fighting out, out, of this, out of the same gym, out of Ultimate Fitness. Those guys moved on to, to another gym. But at that point, when I showed up, Faber had the idea of you know starting the name Team Alpha Male. And I was actually the first UFC fighter to fight out of Team Alpha Male. Faber was uh, WC World Champion. Joseph Benavides was Joseph Benavides had a couple fights at the Tachi Pass in Fresno. I mean, he had all these underground fights as well. But you know, this guy was take, working the front desk and taking the trash out when I first got got to the gym, and uh, then he fought in Dream, and then went to WC, and you know, the rest is history for him. But uh, you know, Chad Mendez eventually came, and Lance Palmer, and uh, you know, but but back then there was there was no UFC fighters. Everyone was in the WC WC, right. and I was I was fighting in the UFC and just. Working with these guys, you know, um, I just found myself uh, cornering, and and I had box. I had a lot, uh, you know, more boxing experience than a lot of the guys on the team that are wrestlers. So I was helping them with stand up, like 
from from the first you know few weeks I was at the gym and and it just evolved into cornering guys and and you know I've been cornering and holding mitts since you know uh, for the last ten years like when I when I got the official job as head coach I'm like okay the the year before uh, in 2015 I was an active professional fighter on the team and I spent three months at the UFC you know what I mean I didn't yeah. fight in the UFC in 2015 like. I spent three months, uh, it's 12 fight weeks, you know, at the UFC with my teammates, cornering them and coaching them. So, I mean, that was when I was not head coach. I haven't done the numbers this year, but I mean, I got, I don't even know for, for eight weeks, I was on the road every weekend yeah. for, for one period of time. Uh, you know, it just, it just evolved from there. And, uh, you know, I, I think the reason why, if I am successful as a coach, you know, I mean, I've been at it officially for under a year. And Cody's crowned as world champion. No, he's my first world champion. Couldn't, couldn't have picked a better, more dedicated, more deserving guy. You know, uh, you know, very proud of that. But, uh, you know, just working with these guys, I just, I, I feel like before we had a head coach for the team, it was seriously a cooperative thing where it was fighters training fighters. Like I, I stepped up a, uh, in, a, in a big way and was, was cornering and helping guys. But, uh, you know, I think the reason why I have a good eye for coaching is because I never had like a coach who told me what to do. Like everything was kind of a guessing game. Of course I had master Tong, but he's, he's a fantastic, uh, Muay Thai coach, but MMA, you know, also a great MMA coach, but you know, there was a lot of gas missing. I didn't really have someone to tell me how things should be done, how to mold my career, how to work with sponsors, how to pick fights, how to prepare for fights and how to cut weight, you know? And these are all things that like everything, everything about MMA that's useful for some reason, it sticks in my, in my brain, you know, I have a really good memory for that. And, uh, that, that's how it kind of just evolved, like throughout all those processes, you know, until, you know, the end of last year, like a lot of people were, were, it's the first time that we were really getting written off by the MMA media saying that like the, you know, the demise of team alpha male is here. Like they have no coach and whatnot. And I just decided, you know, I could do a way better job than this. And, and uh, you know, I talked to Uriah and then, you know, the rest is history for this year. We've had a winning season, uh, a lot of big time stoppages, wins in the UFC, 10, eight round wins. And uh, two new guys who got in the UFC, we've, we've taken all the local belts in Northern California and, you know, to cap it off with the world title, it just couldn't, couldn't get any better really. Do you think, though, I mean, it sounds phenomenal. And I, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, because it, it just, I keep rolling it through my mind. I know there's talk about, you know, Garbrandt fighting, you know, you know, maybe a rematch with Cruz. Um, but it seems like right now the idea of fighting TJ Dillashaw has so much more behind it. Oh, well, it's got as, the storyline. Oh, it's a huge storyline. Yeah. In fact, I mean, I, giving Cruz an immediate rematch, that's not very common anymore in our sport. You know, the champ loses. Very rarely do they give him a, a rematch right back, especially when you have Dillashaw, who how many fights now? I mean, he, the only fights he's lost right now at 35 is to Cruz. And so him coming back, especially after such a uh, dominant win over uh, um, help me. You're talking about who? Dominic TJ Lineker. Such a dominant yeah. win over Lineker. Yeah. And just the storyline, just the, everything that's going on between the two camps, uh, it just seems like uh, if I'm a UFC you know, uh, powers that be, that's the fight I would want to make. 
Yeah, how about that, Justin? Also the fact that we'd have of the the two right, UFC Justin. titles that had come to yeah. Team Alpha Male. Then the whole the head first coaching thing. I mean, mm. the coach, I, I don't know. It just seems like there's just so much. We're liking I mean, this, Justin. Talk whole, us out of it. That whole <laughs> countdown to the fight. I mean, yeah. right now, I, I don't usually watch the countdowns. I got to be honest with you. You know, it's like, eh, whatever. It's the same mm-hmm. shit again. Every yeah. game, everybody wants to win a fight. We train harder when we never trained. It's the best version you're going to see of me. Blah, blah, blah. But yeah. that countdown yeah. between you and Dwayne and TJ versus is uh Uriah, you know yeah, Uriah, Uriah, Uriah on geez, there. Man, like i gotta Uriah be honest with you man you- i'm already looking <laughs> forward to it <laughs> yeah how about man, it Justin? hey hey you guys got me convinced man let's do it like <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> hey uh yeah hey you know good for us man with Cruz, I, I would say yeah go back and put a stamp on it yeah but i mean the first round kind of close second round Cody's winning, you know, third, fourth. I mean, by the time the, I mean, at one point, I'm like, man, they could stop this. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like it wasn't like it was close, guys. I mean, did any judge yeah. give Cruz any of the rounds? Maybe the first round, maybe you know. Yeah, yeah, the the first and the. There was the, a little funky scoring in there. I mean, a couple people yeah. gave some, some rounds to Cruz. It was a little funky, and they didn't give Cody one ten eight. You know. Yeah. Completely no. ridiculous. Really? Yeah. Round he didn't four for dropping him twice in round four. Mm-mm. Or three yeah, times? No. Didn't he drop him three times? Three. Yeah. Yes, sir. You yeah. get dropped three times. Okay. That's a tenant. Yeah. <laughs> no, the scoring was that really is... the scoring was really weird. And well, yeah. the only thing I uh, going on that that I thought a couple times I'm like, man, some of these rounds might actually because Cody was throwing the better punches, the more precise when he was throwing, but on the times that Cruz wasn't engaging him, he wasn't engaging Cruz, and I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Cruz might be winning this right now just for the fact that he's mm. not landing more, but he threw yep. more rounds, punches that round, and a judge might sit there. And, I mean, I wouldn't argue against it. I don't agree yeah. with it. To me, it's like, hey, one guy threw 10 punches, landed two. The other guy threw five punches, landed three. Oh, shit, the guy that threw yep. five is way better. And that, <laughs> See, and that's how the fifth round looked to me. I thought that, you know, I can see a judge making that's argument true. That's either going way back here. Right. I think the fifth yeah. round crews kind of pulled off. Yeah, I didn't think the outcome was activity. right. No, I didn't think the outcome was ever in question, but you know, when you start thinking about, well, how is the judge going to look at this? But yeah, okay. So I okay, clearly we've made your decision for you, Justin. Yeah. Just go back to practice tomorrow <laughs> and tell him that uh Frank and I got together and figured out where we need to go with uh uh this whole uh uh tj dillashaw drama now okay i want to talk some some podcasting before we run out of time with you because first of all we want to tell all of our phone booth fighting listeners to check out stud show radio uh this is a podcast i've been listening to for a long time uh justin anchors it now you'll hear familiar voices on there like cody and uriah and you know all the guys around the gym but tell pull back the curtain here justin and tell me who else we hear on this show on a regular basis that, that maybe isn't one of those household fighter names? Tell us the who the, the cast is made up of. Well, I mean, you got my, my co-host who, you know, he's actually the center of the show, uh, Sir Studboy. Yes. He, 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 uh, he's the greatest MA, self-proclaimed greatest MA mind uh, in the sport. Uh, sorry, Frank. <laughs> it's self-proclaimed now. Where did, it's self-proclaimed. Where, where, and he, where, where did he, he also? Yeah, go ahead. But before you move on from him, where did he come from? Who is this person? Where? where, where so did now, he find you know, him? interesting enough. Now, interesting enough. This guy, he wrote the uh, the rules for Fila grappling. So when you have a, uh, uh, you know, Ricky Lundell, when Ricky, Ricky Lundell has a world championship in grappling, right. That is under rules written by by my co-host. Him and him and one of his friends actually wrote the rules for Fila grappling. He's been involved in wrestling. 
uh, you know, since from, from when he was a child, he started wrestling okay. at a young age. He actually coached TJ Dillashaw at Fullerton, uh, Fullerton College, and he came up with this this amazing millionaire. My, you know, my my co-host came up with this amazing uh, uh, business that uh, involves some people on, on Team Alpha Male, you know, and they're they're doing really good. So, uh, you know, he like he likes to say he he dines on ahi tuna appetizers, has a four hundred one k, and drives a Mercedes. So <laughs> he's doing he's he's doing pretty good in life. <laughs> See, I love it. I love it that Team Alpha Male has these, like, you know, these faces of the franchise, like Uriah Faber, but they also kind of have these mysterious figures in the background. <laughs> like, that guy, like, I always thought of Master Tong that way, too. You know, I mean, you'd see him come out, but you just weren't real sure where, where he came. He's off, like, in a monastery or something now, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Master Tong, man. So, he, again, this Master Tong is my first coach, man. I owe, you know, every, everything that I, that I know about stand up to Master Tong. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he, he's been, he, he trained Uriah, Chad, trained TJ, you know, had, TJ was knocking guys out with, with me and Master Tong, you know, before Dwayne ever even came to camp. And, uh, you know, he was a winning star. And so was Chad Mendez. Chad Mendez had two knockouts in the first round when I was cornering him before Dwayne even came to camp, you know, like, you know what I mean? Uh, Benavides was a savage and, uh, uh, you know, master Tong actually, the, so he's been training the team since day one. When I first came to Sacramento, I watched him and Uriah hit mitts for 90 minutes and they were basically fighting each other. Master Tong with tie pads and Uriah doing his thing for 90 minutes straight. And I never seen nothing like that. I was like, okay, I have to move here. Uh-huh. But master Tong has been, been, been training me and training the team from the start. And, uh, you know, this year he was our, uh, we, I put these positions, I made him the head Muay Thai coach and he had his Muay Thai practices and was of course our mitt man and trainer. Uh-huh. And, uh, about two months ago, he went back to Thailand and became a Buddhist monk and shaved all the hair off his body and wears a robe now. You must be hard to, <laughs> you must be hard to work with, Justin. These guys get these titles. So, huh? Yeah. Next thing you know, they're running away from Sacramento and joining monasteries. Oh my gosh. Who knows what, who knows yeah. where Chris Holsworth's headed now? Uh, interesting. <laughs> now, now who, okay. So who else on stud show? We got Sir Stud Boy. And then who else do we hear involved in that? Well, we hear, uh, Tuss, uh, she's behind the computer. She runs the social media of team alpha male. We have one of the most powerful social medias. Uh, in the game. Yes. I mean, we have like 150,000 followers on Instagram and we're very active. We post all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, if you want to follow uh, a behind the scenes kind of thing on Cody and anytime anyone fights, we get crazy for fight week and we just had fight week after fight week after fight week this year. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of good content on there. We hear her on there and then we have Smelly. He's running behind the computer. Uh, those are the guys directly involved in the show that you'll be here. That you'll hear every day. Smelly it. <laughs> smell you yeah <laughs> now uh i i will say this. he's uh he's he's a male 150 pound fighter searching the world for a match with another 150 pound man i said i don't think they exist but you know he's, he's out there looking i'm telling him he's gonna have to fight a girl and i guess he's down with that okay when we get done here i can't discuss this publicly yet but i heard uh i mean i can't can't reveal everything on the air to our listeners just yet they'll understand in a few weeks or so but uh i heard smelly it <laughs> campaigning for his fight because he's had like frank this guy this guy has not made his pro debut yet okay he wants to fight at 115 pounds he's had nine straight fights booked and canceled right justin yes 
<laughs> yeah. So he's I, I have an idea though for his for his fight. I'm gonna pitch you off air, Justin, and then you, you let me know what you think. Now uh nice. now with with uh with Sir Studboy though, I wanna say this, Frank. I was listening to before this episode they did tonight, most recent episode of Stud Show Radio. The, this guy may have written feeler rules and all this kind of stuff, but he uncorked a monologue arguing <laughs> for voter ID laws that had me, you know how I feel about this stuff. It had me, I was out walking my dogs, Justin, listening late at night with my earbuds in. I thought I was going to have to sit down. I, it's a good thing I didn't know the call-in number because he and I are, he and I uh, will will have some serious issues to discuss about the validity of he he has been uh, snowed on this concept of widespread voter fraud and so at some point he and I must must face off on Lincoln Douglas debate style. If, uh, oh, this is awesome. Okay. All right. We have to have this conversation because he really, he really and, had yeah. me in a tizzy. Now, now, when you guys do this. And, and me, me and Mir will be the judges of your guys' debate. Okay. You'll be, you be down for that, right, Frank? Okay. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's plan to do that. We'll, we'll, we'll get a swap cast together at some point, maybe, if you guys be up for that. Yes. We can, we can uh, make it happen. Now, when you guys do this, you do Stud Show Radio. First of all, uh, how many are, are you guys consistent on, on days you put? I mean, it just comes to my iPhone. So I know I, I, you know, I get it weekly, but do you guys always do the same days or does it kind of depend? Yeah, we try to go every Tuesday, every okay. Tuesday night. All right. And, uh, then you do it right there at the gym. And as I've told you privately, Justin, one of the cool things to me about this show is that there's a lot of, you know, fighter podcasts out there. There's a lot of MMA podcasts. I mean, our hook is that we do our show phone booth fighting here at stately mirror manor. And we have the guests, yeah. uh, like we had Jessica and Draj uh, come over uh, earlier this evening and, and, and join us here in, around the hearth. So that's kind of our hook, is that we do it you know, at, uh, at Frank's house, but you guys are doing it there in the gym. One of the things I really like about the way that it plays on air is that it sounds like you know basically practice just concluded, there's a couch in the spare office, and you just never know who's <laughs> going to plop down on that couch and, and start talking, and that's something none of the other major camps have you know att jackson's they they don't have some ensemble cast of a of a podcast they do so you guys have a really unique uh, uh niche in that and uh and i just think it's a very cool thing to point out to people if they haven't uh listened up to you know up to now so that that's something you're aware of right that i mean you guys really have a very unique thing going in the world of mma related podcasting man i mean uh we, I mean, we, we used to do episodes where Stud Boy was just playing Mario Kart for like 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, sounds like our episodes <laughs> like where Frank plays Clash of Clans. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you're you going to, like, you know, he's like, I'm like, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to be 45 minutes late. You know, this train session ran long, whatever. And it's like, we can either leave no airtime or you could be playing Mario Kart. So we're like, all right, play some Mario Kart. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we just, we just, the, the, you know, just like you said, the, I think the best thing about our show is that it's just kind of, you know, off the cuff kind of humor. And we just kind of set, you know, there's not much planning into it. When I can make it, I can make it. And, uh, you know, when Chris comes back from his, or when Studboy comes back from his business, like we, we get it together. And then, and then, like you said, God knows who's going to show up or what's going to happen. I mean, we've had episodes where we did like a frat house edition with Cody and Lance and Holdsworth. And they were just shirtless the whole time doing beer funnels and, you know, just, 
it was just hilarious, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's, it's, it's equal parts uh, 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 gym culture, and there's 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 a little frat vibe to it, and everything. So uh, everybody, a little, can, little uh, gay wolf pack vibe, a little of that, a little of that. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, nothing wrong with that. There's a whole nother demo yeah. you can cater to with that. Uh, and uh, it's Stud Show Radio. Now tell everybody, Justin, how they can uh, follow the show on social media. Obviously, they can subscribe, and I'm I get it through iTunes, and I'm sure Stitcher and Google Play and all those regular podcast places as well, right? Yeah, exactly. I think the best way though is go to studradio.com. We have all our links on there. Okay. Uh, our YouTube channel, and we actually stream it live on YouTube, so we have live call-ins and stuff like that. Pretty cool. And then. Uh, you know, stud stud show radio on uh, Instagram. That's where we're doing most of our our social media is going out out of there first. But also follow Team Alpha Male MMA on Instagram, uh, Team Alpha Male on Facebook, and Team Alpha Male on Twitter. Like we're always covering the stuff we got in the gym. It's kind of like a running reality show, running like little documentary on the team. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, it's pretty interesting for for the dedicated fight fans really appreciate some of the, the content we put out there. Well, I love listening to it and, uh, just keep cranking out the episodes. I think this will just get, uh, b- bigger and better, uh, with, uh, with Cody's edition of the, the Bantamweight title and all the stuff that's, uh, going to lead up to that. So, uh, up to his, uh, next fight and whatnot in uh, 2000. So is the plan, uh, in closing here, Justin, is the plan, you know, moving ahead, uh, kind of indefinitely that it's, you know, you, you'll head coach, uh, uh, Chris Holsworth will assist. I mean, is that just kind of the until further notice the 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 plan and the blueprint for Team Alpha Male? Seems like it's yeah. working. Yeah, and, and exactly. Yeah, and all the other coaches in their respective roles as boxing coach, dressing coach, you know, uh, and hope we'll even, we'll even bring in some other stuff uh, as well because we're moving into a, a new facility. Your eyes got a new gym coming mm. uh, in February, and it's almost double the square footage. We're going to have double the mat space, and you know. I know uh, uh, Frank has been up to to our gym, and he could tell you we don't have a cage. You know what I mean? We 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 got the guy who's the best mover in the cage. We put together a game plan without even having a cage for Dominic Cruz. You know, imagine we get a craze, man. Oh, imagine we get a cage, man. It's gonna be amazing. You know, we'll be able to cut off the cage, use the cage in different ways, and and uh, spar in the cage and hit mitts in the cage. Just gonna 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 help us get better. I just like the conversation that you know one one of your team members walks in with the UFC bantamweight title. Everybody standing around going, eh, "I guess we should probably go ahead and get a cage. Probably, <laughs> yeah. probably might want to look into getting a cage. Yeah, go ahead and do that. Yeah. All right, All right Justin. A couple things. One, uh, Frank's his striking coach Angelo Reyes wanted me to tell you personally. He was over here this evening. And he said he was uh, so excited for your success this weekend and that he particularly appreciated the fact that you were uh, elevating the name of Asian MMA coaches everywhere, of which he is one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so he appreciates that. And uh, yeah, Tell him thank you. Frank, joining us here at Stately Mirror Manor, an in-person guest. You know, this happens from time to time. Sometimes uh, we have uh, people drop by. And this is an exciting one. This is, uh, this is an international guest, uh, top contender in the uh, UFC women's strawweight division, Jessica Andrade. Good to see you. How are you? Oh, fine. Good. Hold the, yeah, there you go. There you go. Hold that microphone up right there. <laughs> Jessica's here with uh, with her manager and uh, translator Tiago, so he'll be uh, uh, piping in from uh, time to time. Now, Jessica, you were originally supposed to be at uh, fighting at UFC 207, which just took place this past weekend. 
So uh, what happened? How come you didn't end up being on the card? And then what led to you deciding to stay over in Vegas anyway? Bom, eu já tinha vindo uma semana antes, né, para poder treinar melhor, ir para a luta melhor, né? Eu já tinha lutado uma vez aqui em Vegas e eu tinha passado muito mal por causa do ar quente, eu não tinha me acostumado. Dessa vez a gente falou, não, vamos uma semana antes, vamos treinar bem e aí vamos chegar super preparado para a luta, né? E aí, nos dois dias que a gente chegou, depois o UFC já falou que não tinha mais luta, que não tinha adversário, ninguém queria lutar comigo... Eu falei, poxa vida, sou tão ruim assim, sou tão malvada que ninguém quer lutar comigo mais. Aí acabou que eu fiquei esperando e, e já aproveitei né, e fiz esse intercâmbio de treinamentos. Treinei com o coach, treinei é, na academia do, do Drasdale. E, poxa, foi muito bom, é, foi um intercâmbio muito bacana. E eu tenho certeza que isso aí só vai somar para a minha próxima luta e para os próximos, próximos camps. Okay, so let's see how much I, I was able to hold. Uh, uh, this is the second time that she's fighting here in Vegas, and, and the first time around she really felt the, the dryness of the air and the heat made a lot of difference for her. So this time around we tried to do things proper and came in a week before we were supposed to. Only problem is by the time they got on the plane, we still didn't have an opponent. Hmm. Because we had the problem with Marina Moraes getting injured, and then Angela Hill was supposed to be the the opponent, but because she was coming back to the UFC, she had to have a four month uh, period of supervision by Usada. Oh, Usada, yeah. So we got in here, and two days in Vegas, the fight got canceled officially. Yeah. So they put her from the card. Uh, since we were here anyways, we thought, well, might as well make the most of it, you know. So. Uh, we have some good contacts here. We were able to work on the boxing with Coach Angelo Reyes. Uh, we were able to do grappling pretty much every day, sometimes twice a day at Drysdale's. Um, we were able to get some good sparring rounds back at Syndicate where they have quite a few girls. So overall, it was ended up, I don't you know, I wouldn't say it was a good experience because it was not what it was supposed to be, but yeah. I, I believe that we were able to make the most out of the, the situation. Frank, uh, you know, Jessica mentions uh, wanting to get acclimated in the transition from Brazil to here. We heard the same thing, or I heard the same thing in an interview I did uh, a couple of months ago with Amanda Nunez. She was saying that was going to be something she wanted to do as well, because in the past she'd felt the difference. Say you fought in Brazil, of course, live here in Vegas. Is that a difference in terms of climate, things like that, that you've noticed? Actually, I think it's much better to fight in Brazil. Yeah. It feels better there. Uh, it was easier to warm up. It feels more natural. Yeah. Uh, I remember in the back room when I was in Porto Alegre, I, I said I always wanted to fight in Brazil. Yeah. Just the way it felt. So I can relate that if you train there and you come here, it's going to feel like shit. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I notice about fights in Brazil is in the dressing rooms, they always have those same white plastic chairs. Are those very popular in Brazil? Do you know what I'm talking about? Those white chairs? É muito popular essas cadeiras de plástico lá. Não sei o que acontece. E a galera gosta da cadeira de plástico. Acho que é porque é muito barato, né? Então não tem como. Aí todo mundo quer pôr. So I guess they are super popular there. And the main thing is that they are super cheap. So I guess that's why they're used everywhere by everybody. I guess they're just right to save money. I guess that's it. Because every time I'm watching a fight on Fight Pass and they cut to the locker room and I see those white chairs, I go, oh, they're in Brazil. 
Yeah. Now, um, okay, so I know that uh, you didn't get the opponent for uh, 207, but some of the reports that I've seen are that uh, you were being talked about for a title shot with Joanna and Jacek, and that you had wanted to take another fight, if I'm hearing all this correctly, uh, and, and kind of enhance your training camp and that sort of thing before you do that. So, it, it, one, is that correct? And two, if so... What type of opponent and training camp would you like to have before you you take that title shot? Bom, é, eu acho que para mim vai ser melhor fazer uma luta antes, né? Eu, eu já já achava assim meio estranho porque todo mundo quando eu entrei para a categoria 52 todo mundo falava que poxa eu não estava pronta, que não era a hora de estar disputando o cinturão e aí venci duas lutas, venci muito bem. E agora está na hora de lutar o cinturão, só que eu quero estar tá bem preparada. Então, é, eu preciso de mais essa luta para poder conseguir uma verba boa e aí poder focar no meu camp. E aí, poxa, chegar lá e falar assim, pô, se eu não vencer, não foi por causa que eu não fiz um bom trabalho, mas sim porque ela era melhor do que eu. Mas eu quero estar tá bem preparada, chegar lá e poder fazer uma grande luta. Yeah, so what happened is after the debacle of 207 with all the problems with the opponents and everything, the UFC did offer the option of going straight for the title shot. The only problem is that we know Joanna pretty well and we know that she's planning on fighting only around April. Mm. And that would be a bit too late because her last fight was in September. So it's not like she would have to wait just five months. She's already been waiting for a fight since September. And... The UFC offered the option. We either could go straight for the fight or we could have another one to replace this one that we just had canceled. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, like we are not looking at a title fight to be just a title defense for Joanna. You know, we're taking this very seriously. So we do need the one fight that was supposed to be last week to capitalize, to get some money and be able to invest on the camp to make sure that we're just not uh, one more number mm -hmm. in Joanna's title reign. You know, we're going there to take the belt. And if it happens that we lose, at least we know that we invested everything and made sure that there was no excuses. You know, we put everything in the camp and we are going there 100%. Jessica, give us an idea. When you talk about things that you want to add to your training camp or ways that you want to enhance it uh, for a title shot, for, for fans who, who may not understand the day-to-day goings-on of a training camp, What types of things are you talking about in terms of augmentation to what might otherwise be a normal camp for a non-title fight? Bom, é, muita gente não sabe, mas eu é, eu ainda estou em um processo de evolução, né? Eu sou é, ponta azul escura de Muay Thai, eu sou eu peguei a roxa agora de Jiu-Jitsu, então eu ainda estou num processo de evolução muito grande. E para essa luta Tipo, eu ia precisar do dinheiro para cuidar da minha alimentação melhor, para ter um, uma menina melhor de sparring para poder treinar. Então, é, melhor trazer treinadores é, que pudessem me ajudar e, e melhorar o meu, o meu treinamento. Junto com o Mestre Paraná, eu tenho certeza que ele ia trazer pessoas qualificadas para poder fazer o meu treino evoluir o dobro do que já é bom. E aí, chegar na luta e não precisar é, sofrer tanto né, para lutar, porque aí, se você tem um treino duro na luta, você luta fácil. So, the thing is, uh, for a fight like this, we would have to spend a lot of money on, on bringing in the best people that we can, 
to make sure that she's ready. That would be sparring partners. That would be coaches. That would be having the best team around her to make sure that she would be ready for for the fight and to be at 100% of her capabilities. And, you know, people forget that she's still just a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. She's in, in Brazil, we have a, a grading system for Muay Thai. She's a, a blue belt in, in Muay Thai uh, that they say there. So it's like four years into martial arts training. She's still pretty young and there's still a lot to develop. So having some money to put into this camp would help a lot on that side of things you know just bringing the right people making sure that she is 100% focused on the on that camp and 100% focused on on that particular opponent if angelo tries to gouge you let me know i can uh, probably get you a better deal i'll work on him that's good cuz we're probably going to need it <laughs> frank um Let's 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 match make for a second here for Jessica because if she's not going to take on Yuani and Jacek in her next fight, obviously she wants a, a top contender. I mean, there's just a few names that come to mind uh, since dropping down to strawweight. We've seen her defeat Joanne Calderwood, uh, Jessica Penne, um, Carla Sparza comes to my mind. I mean, here's a, a lady that you know just in the last couple of weeks has talked about wanting a fight, needing a fight, actually needing to, to pay some bills and, and get a fight and that sort of thing, uh, I think that could be an interesting matchup. Well, it would be time inside the octagon, but it's not exactly who should be fighting next. Mm. It would be nice if however long it takes Angela Hill's uh, um, USADA, USADA testing pool yeah. period if they can somehow get that fight because mm. then it's somebody who's going to try to strike and, and make sure they avoid the ground. Right, like Joanna conceivably like would. Yeah. So that would be, I think, a better style. Obviously, fighting anybody, like a Carlos Spars is the complete opposite yep. of, of Joanna. Yeah, so let's ask you about that, Jessica, because while someone like Carla Esparza would be a compelling opponent and a name opponent, we are talking about somebody who's got a wrestling base. If the idea is preparing for Joanna, would there maybe be a thought to letting the uh, USADA period catch up to Angela Hill so you could you could face a striker? Então, é, o UFC, eles já queriam, acho que por a, a Angela, já tinham até me dado uma data é, que seria o caso quando a Angela poderia lutar, só que aí aconteceu um outro imprevisto com ela, disse que alguém da família dela ia fazer uma cirurgia, alguma coisa do tipo, e não poderia lutar. Provavelmente o UFC está esperando é, isso tudo se resolver para casar a luta com ela. Cacarlo Esparza seria uma boa luta por ela ser a terceira do ranking, né? E tá ali já há um ano e meio e tá pedindo luta. Poxa, eu tô aqui, quer lutar? Eu tô aqui. E mas é, o jogo é totalmente diferente, né? No caso, eu eu fazer faria essa luta com a Carla, tranquilo. É uma luta que eu sei que eu venceria. E aí o dinheiro eu investiria numa menina que fosse boa de trocação para poder fazer um jogo muito parecido com o da Joana e aí para a luta muito bem preparada. So, um, Angela has been uh, considered for a fight now in, in January as well. Mm -hmm. um, there was talks of us uh, taking her on in the Denver card, but apparently she has some, some problems there that she can't make it in time. So, it looks like the UFC wants the matchup with Angela. Mm -hmm. So, we'll see how that goes. But for now, 
although there were talks of Denver, that that has been confirmed as, as it's oh, not going to happen. So, uh, and Carla, you know, she has been asking for a fight for the longest time, and I know that as lo- uh, as much as the the style doesn't match Joanna that much, she's still a third ranked in, in the UFC. So, right. uh, ranking wise, it will make a lot of sense for for my title run to get. On, on the third place on the rankings and then go for the belt. And Carla has been asking for a fight for the longest time, and, and I'm here. I'm waiting. Like, I need an opponent. Mm-hmm. So why not just me? And yep. uh, and Carla was actually originally supposed to be Jessica's opponent for her first fight at strawweight. Even back back in March, mm-hmm. that was all the talk was about Carla versus Jessica. And for whatever reason, Carla ended up fighting Juliana Lima, and we ended up with Bennett. But we have been very interested in that fight since day one. Frank, you just mentioned Michelle Watterson. Yeah, I was just thinking somebody who's on a pretty high-profile win over um, Paige Van Zandt. Paige Van Zandt could be definitely, a, uh, maybe not so much ranking-wise, but just its popularity and exposing yourself to more fans. What are your thoughts on that, Jessica? Ah, então, é, a gente até pediu também, né, pro UFC, é, na semana que a gente já tava aqui, ela já tinha lutado, ela falou que tava pronta para lutar de novo, se, se pudesse, e, poxa, eu, eu com certeza lutaria com ela, né, até eu e o Messi e o Thiago assistimos a luta e comentamos, poxa, podia ser ela, já que ela tá, pro, tá pronta, quer lutar, poxa, com certeza podia ser ela, mas aí o UFC não, não quis fechar a luta, e, mas se ela tiver à disposição e o UFC falar assim, poxa, vamos fechar, eu com certeza eu vou, não corro de luta nenhuma. E seria um, um, uma, uma boa luta também por ela já ter acabado de, de vencer a Paige Van Zandt, né? Foi uma luta muito boa. Yeah, uh, we actually watched the fight together, and right after we saw the interviews, and Michelle was saying that she was fine and that she wanted to get back ASAP, mm-hmm. and there was not as soon as possible, as soon as 207. So we really wanted, you know, if she really wanted to get back in there as soon as possible, we were there waiting for an opponent. So why not? You know, she didn't take any damage. She was fine after the fight. So even posted online, like, okay, so if you're you're fine and you want to fight quick, you know, we're here and we need an opponent. And again, like, she did an amazing fight with Paige. She got a lot of exposures. The number that they got for the card was incredible yeah so for us to take someone that has been exposed to that many people would be really good it seems like also frank uh that would be a not only a good stylistic matchup but a good physical matchup because uh you know jessica dropped down from bantamweight to her natural weight class of straw weight and michelle is was an atom weight fighter in uh invicta so one of the smaller straw weights seems like that would be a good good physical matchup yeah definitely um it's always nice to fight someone who doesn't cut a lot of weight. Yeah. You know, that way, uh, you know, as long as also, too, you're not cutting too much weight. Mm-hmm. And I think Jessica fits perfectly at the, the, the uh, straw weight. Yeah. You made that decision, Jessica, to go down to straw weight a couple of fights ago, uh, which I think more naturally suits your physicality. Was that a situation for you where, you know, the, the UFC had not instituted the women's straw weight, weight class yet, and so you knew up to that point, if you were going to be in the UFC, you would have to fight Bantamweight, but did you kind of always have your eye on the the hope that they would create a strawweight division, sort of like uh, some of the smaller men's Bantamweights were keeping their fingers crossed for the eventual flyweight division? 
Bom, é, quando o UFC abriu a categoria do, né, do 61, é, a gente já imaginava que poderia estar né, tá entrando na categoria. E eu é, sempre lutei de 5'7", 60, 61, já lutei até 70 quilos, 66, 65. Então, eu já lutei em várias categorias, mas 5'2 eu nunca tinha lutado. E já lutei no 5'5 também. E eu tinha medo de não conseguir baixar o peso, porque era mu muita coisa e eu gosto muito de comer. Mas quando surgiu a, por a oportunidade de lutar no UFC, poxa, não importava a categoria, né? Eu fui pro 61. E quando eu vi que, poxa, tava ficando muito difícil na categoria do 61, que as meninas estavam muito maiores do que eu, é, mais fortes do que eu, e eu não... Tipo, eu sou uma pessoa muito pequena perto de todo mundo lá. E aí surgiu essa oportunidade de lutar no 5-2, eu falei, poxa, vamos tentar, né? Eu tô com medo de não baixar o peso, ser é muito difícil, mas aí a primeira baixada foi super tranquila, não precisei fazer sal, não precisei fazer banheira, e isso quando eu lutava no 61, eu precisava fazer. E eu falei, poxa, é, eu podia ter lutado nessa categoria há muito tempo e fiquei aqui enrolando com medo. E, pô, me encaixei super bem na, na categoria... E eu acho que de agora pra frente vai ser só vitória, só nocaute, só finalização. No 61 eu não conseguia fazer isso, né? Eu ganhava só por pontos. Era muito difícil sair um nocaute, uma finalização. Hoje não, hoje eu já vejo e enxergo isso mais perto e mais próximo de mim. So before the UFC, she fought mainly at uh, Flyweight. Hmm. But she did fight as high as 155 in Brazil because of the lack of opponents. You know, she was still small, but she fought a girl that was 155. 155? Yeah. My and, gosh. And, and, and I don't see how you could get up to 155. <laughs> yeah, she, she, wow. was, she was not 155. The other girl was. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> but she fought like 45. She fought 35. Yeah. The lowest she ever got in Brazil was about like 121. Yeah. And yeah. But her proper weight class was 125. And that's where she fought most of her career. The opportunity that we got to fight in, in Russia that ended up leading to, to getting to the UFC was at, at 135 against Milana Dudieva, who was a, a Russian champion that mm -hmm. uh, was actually signed by Invicta at the time. And with that win, uh, we ended up getting a chance. Even though it was not the weight class that she would be best at, there, there was no other option anyway. So if you wanted to get to the UFC, if you wanted to fight in the big leagues, you don't have to be against bigger girls. There was no, not much discussion there. And once the UFC started talking about opening another division, we thought, okay, cool, maybe they're going to do 125, so I'm going to be able to drop to my proper weight class. Mm -hmm. And they went to 115. And at the time, we're like, okay, like two weight classes, like it's it's a lot. And we worked a lot to book her up too and get her to a better position at the the, the weight class because she she's tiny. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody else was like she was dwarfed by everybody in the division. Still, she got a, like some decent results and everything, but uh, we weren't getting finishes. You know, the fights that we won were pretty much were mostly by by decision. So we knew that she could do better than that. You know, and the, the weight class was a problem. So once 15 came in and we started thinking about it, she gave the rematch to Raquel Pennington on, on short notice. She was doing fine, beating her up on the stand-up, but ended up giving up a, a late submission on the first round. And we thought, okay, maybe it's time. Let's give it a try. And and since the decision, she started eating proper, and that made a world of difference. Just eating proper, like her weight cut to 115 is miles better than her cut to 135 hmm. because she was eating whatever she was going to mcdonald's throughout fight week and so the the cut for 135 and many times we had to do sauna we had to do bath we had to do a bunch of stuff that 
we have not had to do so far to do 115. So, like, everything just eating proper ended up changing her life cause, because if you're eating proper, you have to regulate the times that you're eating. You have to regulate everything that you're doing. And in the end, like, your entire life kind of falls into place. And that just made a world difference. And, and we're seeing the results. Well, before she was winning mostly by, by decision, she mm-hmm. got two finishes in her last two fights. Well, you know, uh, who else was dwarfed by everybody in his division, Frank, and was known to knock out an opponent or two? Mike Tyson. Seems to have worked out okay for him. Yeah, he, he definitely gave up a little bit of reach. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Jessica, back to Angela Hill for a second. If you do end up having her as an opponent, I'm going to ask you a personal favor. Frank knows about this. To defend my honor, because believe it or not, Angela Hill made fun of my hair on Twitter. <clears throat> Can you believe that? Pode deixar, que eu vou sentar o cacete nela agora só por causa disso. Eu vou falar assim, ó, isso aqui é para defender a honra dele e você nunca mais vai falar do cabelo dele. So you can be sure, like, she's going to hit her extra hard because of that and make sure she doesn't make fun of anybody's hair anymore. Oh, right on. <laughs> yes. I like that. It's not like she's allowed to do that. Come on. Like, look at her hair. Yeah, she had, <laughs> like, like a three-foot mohawk right, and she was making fun of this <laughs> hair. Yeah, I know. Well, speaking of hair, this is something that I like to ask uh, the female fighters about because... Because um, you use it? <laughs> <laughs> when when uh, I train uh, jiu-jitsu at my very low level, I have a real hard time with the hair. I try the ponytail, the man bun, everything. I can't find anything short of cornrows that will really work to keep the hair out of my eyes. Uh, do you have any braiding tips? Do you have like a particular style you like to go to that's very effective for training? Então, quando eu tinha um cabelo mais comprido, que aí eu, eu sempre fazia uma trança só inteira até o final. E então isso segurava muito bem o cabelo. Hoje o meu cabelo já está curto. E aí eu só dou uma amarradinha só, mas começo a treinar e já solta, aí tem que amarrar de novo. Eu acho que o maior segredo mesmo é fazer as trancinhas, que não, não é a única coisa que segura o cabelo de verdade. Ou você amarrar muito bem o cabelo com as 30 xuxinhas e tacar gel e aí funciona. Yeah, she now nowadays she has the same problem. Before when she had the longer hair, she would do just one big braid and it would be fine, mm-hmm. just holding place, but now her hair is a lot shorter. So she would like try to wrap it up as well as she can but you know as soon as she starts rolling the same problem that you have ends up happening so uh, she honestly if you find out any anything that works just mm. let, let her know too because she's having the problem as well okay i will i will see what we go through frank i mean you you think you have your struggles with all your uh your heavyweight champion aches and pains you don't you don't share this problem that jessica and i have <laughs> Even when my hair gets long, it just goes up. <laughs> well, this uh, this has been a delight. This is Frank. This has been like doing a podcast at the United Nations. It has. I was wondering how this was going to work with the translation. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Foi muito legal. Eu adorei vir aqui. Poxa, um prazer imenso estar aqui com vocês. E, poxa, não tem nem falar, não sei nem o que falar. 
So I really appreciate the invitation. I know we had a great time. Uh, uh, you know, if you guys ever need someone from Brazil to speak in Portuguese and, and have it translated, just let us know. <laughs> oh, listen, I think that our numbers in Brazil are going to go through the roof, Frank, with this podcast. It's always iffy with me. <laughs> Say, come on, people from Brazil, just, just get, give us some numbers here. Come on, that's right. Don't make, don't make me look bad. <laughs> well, let's tell everybody how they can uh, find you and follow you on uh, Twitter. If you do Instagram, that sort of thing, let everybody know where they can find you. Bom, para galera aí que quiser me seguir no Instagram, no Twitter, é só por Jessica MMA Pro e no Facebook tá Jessica Andrade. Então é bem, bem fácil de achar. Fanpage também, tá Jessica Andrade, tá bem tranquilinho. It's not a bad to find her like Instagram and Twitter and even Facebook, their fanpage, everything is Jessica MMA Pro. And for all information, you know, she has a lot of content going up every day, so if you guys can, give her a follow. All right, Jessica Andrade, thanks for uh, coming on with us, and you got to come back on with us when you get your uh, your fight officially uh, booked, the next fight. Follow uh, myself on Twitter and Instagram at Richard Hunter. Of course, on Facebook is official Richard Hunter. You can follow Frank on uh, Twitter and Instagram at the Frank Mir. He's on Facebook at official Frank Mir as well. Get your official phone booth fighting merchandise, T-shirts, multiple designs, multiple colors, autograph posters, and uh, some other fun stuff coming very soon at phoneboothfightingshop.com. That's phoneboothfightingshop.com. And as I always tell everyone, Frank, the number one most valuable thing you can do to support us is to tell a friend. Tell a friend about phone booth fighting if they're a fan of MMA or just good conversation. Hey, you never know when whore talk's going to break out. All right, Frank, do, do your part. Tell them how they can follow the show on social media. Well, you can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram on phone booth fighting, and Snapchat and Twitter can be uh, phone booth fight. Who says you don't know formatics? Great job, Frank. For uh, Frank Mir, uh, for myself, Richard Hunter, Justin Buckholtz, head coach of Team Alpha Male, and our guest earlier, uh, UFC women's strawweight title contender Jessica Andrade, this has been Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit. But they fought with